Hello and welcome to Instant Transmission, a podcast where we discuss everything Dragon Ball and how you can turn your job into martial arts training. And in tonight's episode, we dive into what I would consider one of the most iconic arcs in the Dragon Ball series, the 21st Tenkaichi Budokai arc. So get ready for another long one, because apparently we don't know any better. I'm your host, Dayton, and once again, I'm joined by my co-host, Todd. Hi! And tonight's episode covers Dragon Ball episodes 14 through 28, as we continue Goku's journey through his childhood. And with that out of the way, was there anything you wanted to mention before we got things rolling, Todd? I just had one quick note, a uh, comment that I made in our last episode, stating that I thought Goku was around seven years old at the beginning of Dragon Ball, and that was incorrect. So I just wanted to make sure I corrected that. He is actually 11 years old at the beginning of Dragon Ball, and I think he'll tell us in the tournament here that he's 12 just some time after that, so... I mean, admittedly, he he doesn't even know how old he said he is, so I'll I'll forgive you on that one. Yeah, that's fair. He can't count. Neither can I. <laughs> All right. So with that clarification out of the way, let's go ahead and jump into Dragon Ball episode fourteen, Goku's rival arrival, and uh, yeah, this saga is going to kick off with Goku packing his things and getting ready to go train with Master Roshi. Yes. Yeah, so. Basically, jumping right off the end of the last arc, Goku kind of splits off from the group and he goes to seek out Master Roshi. We get a quick scene with Balma, Poir, Yamcha, and Oolong making their way to the city and having some troubles doing so. And we get a few quick shots of what seems like this bald warrior running through the trees. And I think a few comments about him uh, mentioning seeking out Master Roshi as well. Yeah, and it's they they give us some hints as to who this warrior may be, but they do keep it kind of hidden. But until we get that big name reveal, we get some um I, what I think at this point are pretty traditional Dragon Ball tropes with Goku arriving at Roshi's house and the first thing he does is absolutely clean Roshi's fridge out. <laughs> Which I I don't know why, but it's kind of at this point it's wholesome to me to see that trope. Yeah, and I mean, we're kind of seeing where those tropes all began, right? Where, you know, back in the 80s, that was a big funny trope in anime is the protagonist is always eating food and, you know, cleaning people out of their food. And we're going to keep seeing that trope as we go through this arc, too. But we kind of move forward with Goku asking Roshi to train him. And Master Roshi says that he will do it. However, he wants Goku first to find him a young gal. Yeah, and um, this is kind of playing towards, uh, I guess, Roshi's trope as the pervy old man. And unfortunately, Goku doesn't have that, whatever that is, that lets him understand what an attractive woman is. And so this is a very difficult quest for Goku. The first time he comes back, um, he does show up with a young woman. Um, however, she's built like a brick house, and uh, I believe she's holding dumbbells in her hands when she shows up. Oh, yeah, she's a beefcake, and Master Roshi is not too pleased. And so I think he shows two pictures to Goku of a traditionally attractive woman and a less traditionally attractive person. And Goku's like, 
I don't know the difference. They look the same to me. I like them both. <laughs> I think Roshi even makes a comment like, what are you, a saint? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's pretty good. <laughs> uh, so Goku flies off and he comes back with this time what looks like to be a pretty attractive woman. Um, unfortunately, that's from the waist up as we find out that uh, from the waist down, she's actually a mermaid. And that complicates things a little bit. Just a little bit for Master Roshi, and she seems on board to spend some time with him even. So we get kind of the traditional Toriyama flipping things on its head where, you know, we think that Roshi's in in a good place with this attractive lady and uh, she happens to be part fish. And I think Roshi ends up saying, well, you know, let's give it a shot. And he gives her some sort of pervy pickup line and she slaps him and swims away. <laughs> yeah. And so at this point it's Goku's obviously not getting the message of what master Roshi is, is more or less asking for. But at around this time, we get a mysterious other child who rows his way up to master Roshi's Island and does a beautiful somersault off a boat head planting in front of both of them. And presenting himself as a, another um, martial artist who wants to be trained under Master Roshi. And he goes by a name I think a lot of us will recognize. Uh, Krillin introduces himself. Yeah, so this is the big Krillin introduction in the original Dragon Ball episode 14. And Dayton, I know Krillin is your favorite character. But I think that this is your first time really seeing his intro in the show so how do you feel about how he's introduced here and how his character is presented so we've had a couple of hints of him like like sprinting through the desert at Mach 5 and knocking down trees with his kicks and punches and then when they actually introduce him he does kind of the silly somersault and head plants and it's kind of funny and honestly I like it because it's to me this emphasizes who and what Krillin is he's he's a powerful fighter he's strong but he's kind of a goofball at the end of the day and we get all three of these things within the first few scenes we see krillin so i thought it was perfect okay good i'm i'm glad that you enjoyed it i was curious if you would like that or be upset about the way that he's treated because right off the bat there's this comic relief with him kind of burying his head in the sand and so well, I think that's fun. I think that, like you said, kind of contributes to his character. I wasn't sure if you would be upset because, you know, he's in some ways he's treated like a joke from the very beginning. And I don't mind it, though, because it's the way the joke is, right? Like he's not the the butt of the joke. He's not the joke isn't at his expense. It's at it, it actually builds his character. So these are jokes, I think, like in any positive light that makes sense. Kind of like when Goku first sees a car and he doesn't know what the heck a car is because he's never seen a car. That joke fits there. Whereas Krillin is somebody who is strong and powerful and he does take himself seriously, but he's still kind of a goofball throughout it all. And he was trying to make a flashy entrance, trying to show off and it didn't work out for him. This, this is the kind of humor that I do actually like. So I thought I thought it was executed well and I don't think it was at the expense of Krillin. Yeah, those are really good points. And I think we basically move forward with Krillin asking Master Roshi, similar to Goku, to teach him martial arts. And Krillin is very quick to provide something that he thinks Master Roshi will find valuable. And we get the reveal of some 
dirty hentai magazines <laughs> provided to Master Roshi. <laughs> yes. Um, and right away, I do want to comment on this because I think it's important. This shows that Krillin is he's he, he's kind of the thinker. He's kind of the person who's going to figure out like. I'm not, I'm going to read the rules and what is the fastest way for me to accomplish what the rules ask for. He's not, yeah. he'll take a shortcut, but at the same time, the shortcut still needs to lead him where he needs to go. And I just, in the first episode with Krillin, we get, we get the schemer, we get the, he takes himself seriously, but he's kind of a goofball, but he still is powerful at the end of the day. And we yeah. get all three of those things in one episode. It sums up his character so well. I like that about this too. I I feel like, especially with this intro, that we're seeing a very different Krillin though. While while some of those elements are very much the same with him being powerful and him being kind of goofy, the element where he, especially right here where we're starting to get a hint of it, is he's willing to cheat. Like he's willing to take that the fastest route, even if it's not the the most beneficial route. He just wants to get from point A to point B in a straight line even if that means you know cutting corners basically i mean i like it right it's it's krillin is willing to i i think it's a compliment he's willing to use his brain power versus his brawn power in in situations where it might be easier to do that yeah yeah that's fair and this basically results in roshi asking both of them to find him a gal because he thinks that Krillin might be a little bit better suited than Goku for this task. And Krillin definitely um, agrees that he's definitely more suited to find a woman than Goku is. So, but, and, and we get confirmation of that too, when uh, Krillin attempts to jump on the Nimbus with Goku to ride off to find a girl. And um, well, Krillin falls straight through it. Yeah. And Master Roshi kind of used this as a test and he says, you're hiding something from us. What is it? <laughs> yeah, and at this point, we get to see that Krillin actually has a stockpile of uh, of girly nudie mags that he, at this point, just completely unloads on Master Roshi, which I'm sure he was over the moon about. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Roshi's just flipping through them, going crazy. And that more or less wraps up our episode. We basically, the tail end here, I think is Goku and Krillin flying off to find an appropriate gal for Master Roshi. Yeah, and that leads us right into episode 15, which is the peculiar girl, Launch. And yeah, this is a name that, I guess as somebody who's watched DBZ, but not Dragon Ball, I needed a little bit of context. So I... This is kind of an important character for me to learn about to make some things make sense. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about more more about her at the end of this episode mm -hmm. as we get through here, because it's interesting. But we basically get to see Krillin holding on to Goku to fly on the Nimbus uh, because he can't stand on it. But the the scene quickly jumps to a saloon kind of in the desert with some rough and tumble guys who's they mentioned that they're they're waiting for a woman. I think they mentioned Launch's name and that they're uh, they're going to jump her and beat her up and take her valuables, I guess. Well, there's actually a, uh, a wanted poster for her. She's actually a wanted criminal. Right. And I assume right. that these men were bounty hunters looking to cash in big. 
And while they're sitting around and you see the uh, the iron at their side and everyone's pretty much armed to the teeth waiting, a blue haired girl comes walking through the saloon doors and, you know, everyone turns and looks and like, oh, it's just a cute little girl. Don't worry about it, whatever. And she comes up to the bar and these big rough and tumble men are buying her drinks and stuff like that. But the the wind from outside blows some dust in and we see this cute little blue-haired girl kind of breathe in that dust and sneeze. And we see this transformation from a blue-haired, like, innocent girl to a blonde, just mean-hearted, nasty woman who pulls out a machine gun and starts going to town and everybody in the bar. Yeah, yeah, and she takes them all out. And I, I just want to point out here, I don't think that this is the case, but this has a funny parallel to me to Super Saiyan, where we basically get launched this blue haired girl who comes in and, you know, doesn't <laughs> seem very strong or anything. And then she transforms into this blonde haired figure who kicks ass. So <laughs> I just think this is a funny, like little parallel, maybe as like a precursor to Super Saiyan. <laughs> it's, it's a teaser, right? Like it's yeah. just a, a little bit. Yeah. You... Maybe Toriyama knew where he was going this whole time. I don't know. Yeah, maybe he was just teasing <laughs> it ahead of time. But it basically pans over from that scene to launch using a rocket launcher to blow up a train and rob the train of its valuables. <laughs> yeah, this was I mean, it's a good old Western at this point. She shoots yeah. up the saloon. She robs a train. And then that leads us right into a police chase where she's on some super Segway scooter thing and blasting at the cops. The, I, I honestly did not expect as many guns in Dragon Ball as, as there has been at this point. <laughs> like, it really caught me off guard. Yeah, I actually made a note about the the cool unicycle bike thing that Launch is riding on. And your point about the guns and everything, too. I, I think this is actually a really cool throwback to the days when Toriyama really enjoyed drawing out different vehicles and mechanical objects and stuff. And you don't get to see as much of that in Dragon Ball Z or, or modern Dragon Ball anymore, either. I mean, the... I agree with that because the world just feels so much more vibrant in Dragon Ball than kind of what I'm used to, right? Yeah. And just, I don't know, there's a bunch of weird stuff that makes you ask questions. I'm not sure if Toriyama has an answer to everything. Um, no. Actually, I'm sure he doesn't because... No, he doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. It's fun. And he he doesn't stray away from that. It's If he's able to make a situation fun or add some vibrant backgrounds and just something cool he'll just add it in and it makes it for you know it makes it kind of a fun adventure yeah, but we get I, the the police chase we get lunch shooting back and she actually like blows up one of the police cars ripping peace and um in the middle of this chase she ends up sneezing and turning back into the innocent blue-haired girl and that's where goku and krillin kind of fly by and they see this situation with this innocent girl being held at gunpoint by the cops. Yes. So they hear this scream for help. Goku basically flies down there ready to help. Krillin hops off and he tails it behind a rock because he doesn't want to get involved. <laughs> and so Goku goes in and quickly 
disarms one of the police officers, knocking them both out. And then once the danger is no longer present, Krillin jumps out to take at least partial credit. Oh, absolutely. He's a smart guy. <laughs> work, work smart, not hard. So, yeah, they, they've they defeated the evil police. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and so they have the this woman who matches more or less Master Roshi's requirements. And they're like, hey, like, do you want to come back with us to an island? Like, and meet a pervy old man? And she's like, absolutely. And so they scoop up lunch and they hop on the Nimbus and off they go. And I'm pretty sure um, Innocent Lunch can uh, just ride on the Nimbus no problem, if I remember correctly. She can. And that's an interesting detail because we've seen blonde-haired Launch killing people, stealing money, destroying property. But blue-haired Launch can ride on the Nimbus no problem. So it Nimbus apparently treats them as two different people, which is an interesting point. She's just a victim of circumstance. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's just two different personalities. Who knows? But, <laughs> but they make it back to Kame House. And uh, while waiting for Roshi to finish up in the toilet, we get lunch revealing to Krillin that she's probably a bank robber and reveals a giant pile of cash. But Krillin just doesn't believe her. And I think this is hilarious. I love that she says that she's probably a bank robber. She's like, mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know, but I've got this money. So, you know, I probably stole <laughs> it from somewhere. <laughs> yeah, it's probably this pile of money. Ah, eh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and we get Roshi coming out of the bathroom. He is ecstatic when he sees launch. He's excited that they finally found a gal who meets his criteria and as such, Goku and Krillin are taken in under his wing as students of the Turtle School. Yeah, and, you know, this is, honestly, this is kind of exciting because we know that this is the the beginning of um, Krillin and Goku's, like, like, training. This is the beginning of their origins, and this was something I was really excited to see. And, yeah, I, I'm not going to lie, at the end of this episode, it made me really excited to see the next episode. Yeah, I I felt the same. I think we do have to cover here the Masaroshi telling Launch that she should train martial arts with the boys. Oh, no. Yeah, we have to cover it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Roshi tells the entire crew that, yeah, we, we need to train in martial arts. But in order to train in martial arts, you must have a martial arts uniform. And so they all down their uniforms, which is what I can describe only as um, sexy, like, lingerie. <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely lingerie. But Roshi, Krillin, and Goku are all wearing it. And this is all a ploy to get launched to wear the sexy lingerie. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Everything about this is wrong. Everything about it. You have an 11-year-old boy, a 12-year-old boy, an old man. And sure, there's some girl who, I don't know, she could be 15 all in sexy lingerie. I did not like any of it. Yeah, this is this is very 80s. I don't think you could really <laughs> put this in a show today. But Master Roshi says the uniform, he calls it, at least in the English dub, his turtle hermit fighting armor. <laughs> yes. <laughs> which I thought was hilarious. Uh, uh. But eventually, Launch sneezes. So yellow-haired or blonde-haired Launch 
sees what she's wearing, gets angry, and then proceeds to shoot Roshi, Goku, and Krillin. <laughs> Guns are funny. Guns are funny in Dragon Ball. Just remember that. <laughs> Kids if getting shot guns with guns. In- if you see guns in Dragon Ball Z and like beyond that, guns are actually kind of serious. <laughs> yeah, but in Dragon Ball, they are a comical gag, apparently. Mm-hmm. But yeah. eventually, Launch sneezes, going back to blue haired Launch. And that's how Roshi finds out that yellow haired Launch is terrifying. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I think that leads us into episode 16, which is training the stone hunt. And I want to say right off the bat, this is a super fun episode. I really, really enjoyed this episode. And it begins with uh, Roshi, Goku, Krillin, and Lunch packing up on a boat and heading off to a larger island to begin their training. And during this trip, I believe it's revealed that Krillin has trained eight years at the Magic Oren Temple. And so we get our first hint as to Krillin's capabilities. He's been training pretty much his whole life up to this point. Yeah, eight years is a long time. And I I think we'll end up finding out eventually. Krillin here is about 12 or 13 years old. So like you said, pretty much his whole life. And Master Roshi, having packed up the Kame House in a dino cap, he uh, sets it up on this island. And he then asks Krillin and Goku... He wants to see what they're made of. So he says, all right, we're going to do a hundred meter dash race and I'm going to time you and see how well you do. Yeah. And so we get Krillin lining up first and he's confident. He knows he's got this in the bag and he zooms off and it takes him about 10 seconds, which is still a great time for somebody his age. And even Master Roshi mentions that. And, you know, he's like, he's breathing. He's like, normally, like, I'm a half second faster, blah, blah, blah. Like, he's really bragging about himself. And we get Goku lining up. And, you know, he takes off. And in the middle of the race, it looks like Goku's distracted. And when he runs across the finish line, it's taken him about 11 seconds. But Goku demands, like, a rematch. And even Krillin's like, come on, don't be a sore loser. Like, the times are the times. And at this point, it's revealed that Goku has... Pretty much the worst shoes that anybody could ever have. Like the tops of them pop open. You can see his toes. And uh, <laughs> I mean, it's if anything, this is supposed to point out that Goku doesn't have like nice things. He grew up in the woods. He just kind of has what he has. And while, while it seems silly, I, I think it's important. It's a, just a small moment to remind you where Goku came from. Yeah, exactly. And I think this is, again, another instance of Toriyama trying to misdirect us where we're briefly given this instance of Krillin being better than Goku and that doesn't last long because Goku gets some new shoes runs the time again and runs it in eight seconds and Roshi is pretty flabbergasted by this he's he's honestly pretty impressed with the boys and uh says that they they're doing a pretty good job or at a really good starting place even before his training yeah, and yeah, see, I love this. Roshi's like, all right, let me show you how the old man does it. And he's like cracking his body and like getting ready and stretching out and just it's this big silly buildup. And then you see Roshi just blow by the other times. He crosses the, di- the distance in five seconds. This old man is absolutely incredible. Yeah, grease lightning. And it's... It- 
it's impressive to see Master Roshi actually do his thing because up to this point, we've kind of seen him be a goofy old man. The only other thing that he's done that's been very impressive is with Fire Mountain when he used his Kamehameha to completely obliterate Fire Mountain. <laughs> yeah, but, score some extra credit points. Yeah. And and so this is cool to see him the second time actually be a badass. And uh, it's also interesting to see Krillin's attitude here, you know, kind of being egotistical about the run and then being awestricken with both Goku and Master Roshi. And then see uh, Krillin here is also very quick to kind of pander to master roshi uh kind of kissing his butt and say how wonderful he is <laughs> it's super fun i love it <laughs> yeah and yeah, i mean me it's too. it's they're doing a great job of trying to make these characters feel like foils to each other right whereas goku can't tell a lie he's honest to a fault and just will blur out whatever whereas krillin's calculating with the way that he approaches things and he's going to try and say the right thing to the right person up to this point we've had a very brief time with krillin but they've done a great job of making krillin feel like a foil to goku and i love that yeah it, it's it's very good characterization it's very good getting to see those the dynamic between goku and krillin and we even get at the tail end here or well towards the middle of the episode krillin ends up uh, going into the house to get some food and disturbing launch and launch at this point has sneezed and turned into blonde launch and starts chasing Krillin with a knife and master Roshi is still timing his run and says, Oh, you know, he ran it in 8.8 seconds that time. Pretty good. <laughs> Just needed some motivation is all he needed. Yeah. I will say that damn this show because Every time I watch Dragon Balls, somehow, someway, they make me want to just eat a big bowl of rice. <laughs> they make rice hungry. look so appetizing. <laughs> yeah, so they they get some food. Master Roshi here is also, I like the dialogue here in the English dub because he explains a bit about how to go beyond human limitations uh, after he shows off the way how fast he can run. And he, I think he expresses it as going beyond your limits, which is funny with us having recently finished Dragon Ball Super, because there's a lot of talk about that in the Tournament of Power arc in Dragon Ball Super, even with Master Roshi. So I like that tie back here to the start and to the finish of Dragon Ball in general. Yeah, and actually there's a couple other points that Dragon Ball Super does tie original Dragon Ball into it. This is one of them. There's even better points in the future that I think I'm probably going to bring up here. But uh, something that they actually do cover at around this point is Roshi's also working on not only, I guess, like physical training, but at around this point, he brings up mental training. And he, for the entire evening, he brings up teaching and starts showing them the turtle hermit way. And there's kind of this... It's not really shown, but it's just like he begins teaching them kind of the philosophy of martial arts. And there's kind of a time skip at this point. Yeah. And they eventually get to the point where after he's done teaching them, he says, OK, I want you to I'm going to take this stone. And he writes his kanji for turtle on the stone and he throws it into the woods and 
the the boys think, oh, you know, we're going to throw some stones. And he says, no, no, no. You're going to find my stone that I threw into the jungle. <laughs> yeah. And it's kind of this point of panic because not only do they have to find the stone, whoever finds the stone gets to eat that night. And they only have 30 minutes to find the stone. And so there's this big moment of panic where they realize, uh, if I want to eat tonight, I need to go find that stone. And on top of that, it's in the middle of this big, dangerous forest with like mountain faces and just horrible things. And so we get this kind of panicked run over towards the woods where they step to the edge of a cliff. And we get the, um, this is a really good moment showing the difference between Goku and Krillin. Um, yeah. Seeing the cliff edge, uh, Goku just dives off of it recklessly going, yeah, yeah, I used to do this at home, so it's no big deal. And of course, he crashes and bumps his head, but, you know, it's no big deal. Whereas Krillin pauses for a moment and thinks, well, all right, maybe there's an easier way to do this. And he begins looking around and he finds a stone that's about the right size. And he goes over to a nearby house and he borrows a marker to also draw the turtle kanji on the stone. Yeah. And this is, this is early Krillin. This is basically going to be Krillin's story arc where he's learning what the value of hard work is. And this is him right now trying to cut corners. So he takes this stone that he's written his own turtle symbol on. He takes it to Master Roshi and says, hey, I found it. And Master Roshi inspects it for a minute and then throws it right at his head. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Krillin's found out instantly for the, the sham he, he is. And Master Roshi yells at him, get back out there, find the stone sort of thing. And Krillin goes fling from the house. And once again, cutting corners does not pay. And I don't, I love this because it's, Goku is the, I'm going to take the most direct approach. I'm going to, I don't care how much hard work it is. I'm going to do it. Whereas Krillin is the think a little bit more tactically sort of guy. Yeah. I, like you said, they're good foils for one another. And Krillin, so Krillin goes out to try to do this legitimately. And instead of finding the stone, he finds Goku who has found the stone Goku explaining that the stone itself smells like turtle and sweat. <laughs> and Krillin says, oh, you know, that that could be a fake stone. So you should let me see it so that I can check it. And Krillin takes the stone, begins to inspect it, and then runs away with the stone. <laughs> so, yeah, we get this pursuit scene of Krillin more or less running for his life and Goku just in hot pursuit and they're making their way through the woods and eventually they go across a bridge and Krillin actually turns and cuts the bridge and sends Goku into the ravine below and Goku just quickly sprints up the side of this ravine and eventually does catch Krillin and there's kind of this momentary standoff where it's all right well, we're going to fight for the stone and then whoever earns it can can go turn it into Master Roshi. Krillin's being all confident and like, well, all right, well, don't go crying when I when I pound you good sort of thing. Well, little does Krillin know that um, after a very brief and kind of comic book like cartoon exchange with the puff of smoke and arms coming out the side of it. Yeah. Krillin kind of gets his butt kicked. And so at this point, being a sore loser, he reaches into his his outfit and he 
pulls out a stone and he whips it into the distance and Goku goes running after it. Yeah, and we as the audience already know that Krillin had his own stone. So we quickly find out that Krillin kept the real stone and threw the fake stone for Goku to chase after. So we kind of cut to Krillin returning the stone to Roshi and this time it being the real one. So Krillin gets to eat dinner while Goku is sitting in the corner, just kind of drooling and wishing he could eat dinner. (laughs) Yeah, but turns out that there's some sort of karmic justice here where the food that was prepared by lunch was made with local puffer fish, which is poisonous. And so severe food poisoning (laughs) overtakes uh, Roshi and lunch and Krillin as they have just filled their guts with poisonous food. And so Goku in kind of a weird karmic justice kind of way, avoids the punishment. Yeah, yeah. Karma's a bitch. And uh, (laughs) Krillin got his after stealing the stone from Goku. So I think that pretty much takes us to the next episode. It does, which is episode 17 with Life at Stake, Milk Delivery. And we get a brief scene with Lunch kind of looking over Goku. And there's almost kind of a motherly aspect to it, which is meh. Kind kind of cute. Kind of reminds you that Goku's still like a really young kid um, until she sneezes and Roshi wakes her up and then there's some bullet shooting and stuff. But uh, yeah, um, for a moment, it was wholesome. (laughs) Yeah, Goku is basically still sleeping. Roshi wakes up the kids at dawn at shows almost 4.30 a.m. so that they can begin their training and he has to kind of tiptoe around launch in order to not... uh, not get shot, but uh, eventually they do begin their training. And Master Roshi starts the training with kind of a speech here. And he he basically explains, we don't learn martial arts to win women. We must master the art of peace in addition to the art of war. If someone evil threatens you or innocent people it's your duty to defend yourself or them and we learn how to fight so that we don't have to and i like this i like this a lot uh again this is the english dub interpretation but this is kind of master roshi explaining the reasons behind why they learn martial arts and the reason why he teaches martial arts and i like this philosophy yeah the philosophy is great and It emphasizes the fact that you're not learning martial arts to go out there and beat people up. You're learning martial arts to defend good, defend people. And it kind of sets the tone for, I think, where the training is going to go and with what these characters are going to do. It puts it all in a a nice little bow, and I like that. Yeah, and uh, this kind of ties into... I mean, this was a good throwback in Dragon Ball Super. Again, they put a lot of this philosophy in the Tournament of Power from Roshi, which was, it was good. I liked it. Yeah, there are but, actually some lines from Dragon Ball that Roshi repeated during Super, which I do appreciate. Yeah, that was that was a good throwback. So good job, Toei and, and Funimation for dubbing that well. And so we basically begin our training with a morning run and after a few miles of running, the boys and Master Roshi reach their destination at a 
a milk delivery shop. And so they are given these bins or baskets of milk. And while the person who normally delivers them uses a helicopter, Master Roshi says, oh, no, we are going to deliver them on foot. Yeah. And so they take our, their uh, boxes of milk from the cow man thing. <laughs> and they are told that it's going to be miles between their destinations. But it's not just enough to have to run miles between their destinations. They're going to have to skip <laughs> just to make the, the journey a little bit more difficult. And so they begin their journey skipping and chanting along to their first destination, which is, I think, something like two or three miles from the spot that they're starting from. Yeah, I think it's about three miles. And the funny thing here is, again, like you said, we're getting the good foil of Krillin and Goku, where Goku's pretty happy and content to be doing this, while Krillin is complaining almost the entire time this is going on. Yeah, he's not happy about it. He, he just wants to learn awesome martial arts. He does not want to deliver milk. There's actually right. a point where they come across this stretch of road that has trees on either side of it. And Roshi says, all right, like to make the training a little bit more difficult, we're going to go between the trees. So you're going to zigzag across the road and make sure you go around each and every tree down the road. Well, Krillin starts falling behind. And after a moment, he kind of stops. And once they're out of sight, he says, yeah, I'm just going to go straight down the road since they can't see me. And so he starts skipping down the road and he's happy and he's having an awesome time and he's chanting his little, you know, song. And then Master Roshi joins into his song and he realizes that he's been found out and he has to do it the hard way all over again from the beginning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Roshi's been through this routine a few times before. He's probably seen every trick in the book. So mm -hmm. <laughs> he's not going to make it easy on Goku and Krillin. Uh, but they eventually get through their zigzag and they come to what looks like a mountain of stairs that they have to climb. And this is where we get Goku for the first time kind of complaining. He's basically tired and he says, oh, why can't I drink the milk? He wants he's thirsty <laughs> and he wants a drink of the milk that they're carrying. Mm. Uh, and then he also even goes so far as to ask Master Roshi, hey, wouldn't it be faster if I use the Nimbus Cloud to deliver this milk? Yeah, and it's it's great because it's it's Goku actually kind of exposing some of that soft underbelly. And Roshi has just a brilliant response that if you if you took the Nimbus Cloud, it would defeat the purpose of training. And he even doubles down on it by saying that the Ox King and Grandpa Gohan used to do the same training. And this kind of invigorates Goku to, continue down the tough path and and keep working towards that next level and it's cool to see goku kind of be down in the dumps a little bit and then get that pep talk from the master and then just want to keep going yeah this is great i think roshi even says worked like a charm <laughs> <laughs> he's patting himself on the back for that little motivational comment there uh which is brilliant he's reading goku like a book uh it's you know this is this is peak roshi as a master i like this a lot it's and, super fun. I love it. Yeah. And we also get a little insight into Krillin's motivation here, too, where Krillin is saying to himself, I can't let Goku humiliate me again. So 
this actually shows while Masaroshi is working to motivate Goku, Goku is also a prime motivator for Krillin as well, which is nice. Yeah, so we get this nice little exchange and, well, uh, they make their way up the mountain, which is definitely painful and not fun. And, uh, yeah, this is after they make their delivery. This is where we get our first kind of introduction to the World Martial Arts Tournament or the Tenkaichi Budokai, if I understand my video games correctly. <laughs> that is correct. And yeah, basically, Master Roshi explains that the boys could be ready for the 21st World Martial Arts Tournament uh, if they continue their training. And it sounds like the, the tournament's going to be, uh, I think they end up taking about eight months or so to prep. And... Krillin kind of is the one who explains like, oh, this World Martial Arts Tournament is where all the best fighters come to compete and only one can become the reigning champion. And Master Roshi is quick to temper their expectations, telling them this tournament is for growth. You guys are not entering to win this tournament. You guys are entering to become better fighters and learn from it. Which that wouldn't seem like a huge deal if the tournament happened more often than every five years, which I didn't know that. And that blew my mind. Yeah. Yeah. Which is funny. So these, these boys are, uh, you can tell that they're excited about the prospect of participating in the tournament because this motivates them even further in their training. Yeah. And so we get the first kind of introduction to the world martial arts tournament. And then after that, we figure out that Yamcha, Bulma, Puar, and Oolong are fine. They're not stuck in a desert or wherever they were at. And then yeah. from there, um, we get some more training. We get uh, Goku and Krillin with the oversight of Master Roshi navigating a desert and a dangerous river and being chased by dinosaurs and just all this crazy stuff that they have to do to make their deliveries. And yeah, at the end of this episode, we find out that that's just their morning routine. This big, crazy milk delivery thing that they're doing. Yeah, they have to get it done before breakfast, and then they start their next uh, leg of training. Yeah, mid-morning training is mm -hmm. the next part. And I think that pretty much drives us into the next episode. Yeah, so that's going to be episode 18. Uh, Kame Sen's method of intense training. Yeah, Kame Senin. So Master Roshi. And I think this basically starts us off on this training island where the, the boys are going to plow a farmer's fields. And Master Roshi says, oh no, not with tools. You guys are going to use your hands for oh this. it's so cruel that's so cruel <laughs> <laughs> yeah so they mm. so yeah both of them have to not only plow these entire fields but they have to do it with their hands and this is all after doing their milk training so they they travel miles and miles and miles they deliver all this milk and then they have to go back and to plow entire fields with just their bare hands. And yeah, 
at I, at least after this, there's a big old meal waiting at the other end of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they they basically once they finish, they they stop for a meal with launch. Uh, same kind of gag here where launch sneezes and she shoots the boys. Uh, <laughs> they <laughs> uh, they basically continue their training after lunch and. This time, Master Roshi says, all right, we're going to train our minds. So Goku has to read a book here, which is interesting because we, I mean, Goku even says he's not, he's not very smart. So, uh, but Master Roshi expresses that a well-rounded martial artist must be strong in mind as well as body. And I do like this because I think this is, this is important to their growth, right? Like we don't, we don't want to just see them lifting things and beating stuff up we want to see them grow as people and i think this is a very integral part of their growth as individuals so i was really happy to see this yeah and this is i mean kind of like what you've been saying dayton is that this is kind of krillin's point to shine or his time to shine because we get the impression that he is much more learned than goku is or at least much more uh, modern with a little bit of common sense, I suppose. And so uh, Krillin seems to strive here. And we do get, I think, like what you were talking about, Dayton, uh, one of the lines that they, I think, mm-hmm. use specifically in Dragon Ball Super, which is the turtle school philosophy is to work hard, study well, and eat and sleep plenty. I think they use that exact same line in Super. They do. And this was something I also had written down because I was really happy to see Super reference this. And honestly, this is just, I think, good advice in general. (laughs) So uh, I like this mantra. Like, keep repeating this because regardless of this being an anime, just follow those three things and or three or four things. And yeah, you'll probably live a full and fulfilling life. I love it. Yeah, and I mean it's it's simple, right? But it's it's valuable. Uh and this is, you know, a lot of people I mean myself included, a lot of people have grown up with Dragon Ball and, you know, used it as kind of a guiding light or a motivation over time. And so I think this is, you know, giving good lessons to children and adults alike over time. Yeah, but, especially if you're doing like construction work or something like that. Yeah, right. These guys are just doing almost everyday work or tasks at this point. So uh, anyway, and... after their mental training, <laughs> the, the the next leg of work is doing construction work. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Moving. And I have to bring up right now: what the hell are the child labor laws in Japan? Because <laughs> what is going on here? I mean, you know, they it's funny because I think the construction worker even says like, ah, we don't want those kids working here. And Roshi's like, oh, no, you'll want to pay them five times what you pay the other guys once you see what they do. (laughs) And so like the Krillin and Goku are already exhausted at this point after doing all the deliveries and then all the field work. And then they had to do mental training with Master Roshi. And then now they're doing construction work. And we get this brief moment of Krillin kind of, I guess, thinking about like giving up and and kind of showing his weakness a little bit. And we're given a little flashback of Krillin's history right here. And he's shown kind of back at the, the school of Orin 
I'm assuming, where he's with all of his peers. Right. And he's kind of um, bullied because he's the runt of the group. The other members of his organization are picking on him, calling him short and the runt and kind of kicking him around and bullying him. So we we see Krillin kind of think back to that and get a little bit of revitalization because he's re-tapping into his motivation for coming to train. Right. So we're getting to... We're getting to learn why Krillin is the way that he is. He ends up snapping a pickaxe just kind of out of both motivation and frustration thinking about his past. And we kind of move past that uh, with Goku asking to learn fighting moves because he's just kind of frustrated that they've been doing delivering milk and construction work and plowing fields. And so Roshi says that they'll learn fighting moves once they can move this giant boulder. And while Krillin says that's impossible, Roshi demonstrates by moving said boulder. Yeah. And it's kind of funny because you see Roshi kind of turning his head to the side and kind of hiding his facial expressions. And with a lot more effort than he would like to reveal, he is able to move this giant boulder. And with Krillin kind of looking on in awe, Goku doesn't look on in awe. He looks at this as his next challenge. Yeah. And while Krillin and Roshi are ha kind of having a little discussion, Goku slips away and he starts trying to move the boulder. And in the middle of Roshi saying, no, it's impossible. You can't do it. Goku is able to move this boulder kind of, I guess, setting the expectation a little higher. Yeah, and I would almost argue, I mean, Goku seems like he moves the boulder further than Roshi did. It almost seems, once he gets it moving, it almost seems like it's easier for him than Roshi, which is kind of funny too. But Roshi basically says, oh, you know, that I must have picked the wrong rock. Uh, <laughs> you guys have to move this rock, and he finds a rock that's, you know, multiple times the size of that one. Oh, yeah, three, five times the size. It's you can tell Roshi's trying to find that impossible task to, to keep the boys motivated. Yeah, because the boys ask Master Roshi to show them how he moves the rock, and he's like, ah, maybe another time. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so we have the expectation, if you can move this impossibly large rock, I will teach you martial arts. But first, swimming lessons. And uh yeah. The boys are told to swim across this lake and swim back. And in the middle of the swim, Roshi reveals that it's actually a shark infested lake. And this <laughs> adds just maybe a little bit more inspiration to get moving a little quicker. So we get Goku and Krillin just flying across this pond, trying to avoid being eaten by sharks. Once again, what are the child laws? This seems like a bad idea. But they are able to hurriedly swim across the pond hurriedly swim back and uh yeah now now we're on to the final leg of training yeah and we're digging into the details for this one because this is expressing all of the turtle school's training so the last part is master roshi ties the boys to a tree and then proceeds to piss off a hive of bees and tells them <laughs> that they have to dodge the attacks of the bees. And that's how they'll learn to dodge in a fight. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know if it was successful because both of them seem 
quite stung by bees at the end of it all. And I think even Master Roshi gets a little poked by a bee, even way off on the sidelines. But if anything, this is showing us the kind of the turtle hermit way, all the weird, like unorthodox ways that you're going to improve as a fighter. Yeah, and it's, I think we're going to find that it's pretty effective. But what Master Roshi didn't tell the boys is that the next day they're going to repeat this training. And in addition to that, they are going to wear 50 pound turtle shells on their backs while they do this training. <laughs> yeah. And that bridges us into episode 19, which is the Tenkaichi Budokai Begins. And in the opening scene of this, we see Goku and Krillin doing their milk deliveries with these pretty stylish pink turtle shells on their back. Heck yeah. And so basically, they show months passing for them. Uh, eventually, Goku and Krillin show Master Roshi that they can, in fact, move this giant boulder that he had set as kind of the the landmark for them to learn actual fighting moves. Uh, and Master Roshi says... <laughs> They're rewarded pretty well, let me tell you. Yeah, with... I don't have much more to teach you. <laughs> yeah, he pretty much says that I'm not going to teach you martial arts, but... I will give you turtle shells that are twice as heavy to increase your training, which is not exactly the result I think anybody was looking for. No, I don't think that that's what they were expecting. But uh, we're going to find out just how this training has worked for them. As we kind of move forward, we get to see Yamcha has been training through for the past few months. Uh, he kind of was out in the woods. He makes his way back to the city. Uh, scaring Balma because she doesn't recognize him. And Yamcha gets to be a badass here for a second where he saves Balma from a truck that would otherwise have run her over. Uh, but then we kind of move back to the boys and their training and having completed their eight months of training and getting to take off their turtle shells as kind of a momentous victory moment. Yeah, and they, you know, the shells are off and they're talking about how they feel light as air and they try jumping into the air and they can jump, you know, three times higher than they could previously. And it's kind of this momentous occasion for them because they they feel like the effects of the training for the first time. Everything up to this point, I think, has just been them looking for that next that next wall to break through, the next barrier that they need to overcome. And right now they, they get to actually take a moment to appreciate just how far they've come. Yeah. And at this point, Master Roshi declares that they are ready for the tournament and launch gives them some fly suits to wear. Hell yeah. <laughs> and, and then they fly out to the city and that's where they enter the tournament arena at nighttime where they can sign up for the tournament. Uh, they, run into Yamcha who now has short hair and they get to see Balma, Poir and Oolong again. Uh, and this yeah, is, we get you know, this kind of brief, um, I guess like reintroduction of all the characters together and it's, it's kind of a fun moment, but we find out that, you know, right now at this point in the night, it's just registration and the t actual tournament is going to start tomorrow. But before they start the tournament, um, 
we get a brief night's rest, and then we get to see Goku and Krillin finally don their orange geese gifted gifted to them by Master Roshi, which is just such an important moment. It's beautiful. I mean, these this look for both Goku and Krillin, but especially Goku, has been iconic for the past 40 years almost. And so it's it's awesome. They both have the turtle kanji on their chest and on their back. Uh, and so they are true students of the turtle school in this moment. And we get to kind of see uh, moving forward just how their training has pushed their fighting to the limits. I mean, Goku's worn the orange outfit pretty much his entire Dragon Ball career. I can't think of a story arc where he wasn't wearing that. And he wasn't wearing that up to this point. And it's weird because it, you know, I accepted that, you know, Goku looks the way he looks, blah, blah, blah. But once he put on that orange uniform, it felt like Dragon Ball was finally here. Like this, this is now actual Dragon Ball. Yeah, yeah, I kind of agree with you there. There are a few times where he doesn't wear it, like in GT in particular is one, but for the most part, even in Super, like they always come back to his traditional look. I love it. I absolutely love it. But that leads us into episode 20. Will it appear? The power of training. And uh, I'm going to let you guys know right now, um, this is the most eye-opening episode as far as voice acting goes because there are tons of little side characters that are run <laughs> into in this, and all of them sound awful. I am sorry, but this is probably up to this point. This is the worst voice-acted episode I have seen in Dragon Ball, period. Yeah, I'll be honest. Even some of the moving forward, there are even some of the more important side characters who sound pretty bad and i'm not sure that that's even necessarily i don't know whose fault that is it may or may not be the voice actor's fault maybe the voice director's fault it may be the generation's fault of you know anime was not taken very seriously in the 90s when this was dubbed but yeah some of them are rough <laughs> yeah so we get the rules of the tournament announced by the best voice actor in all of dragon ball um yeah <laughs> he's a wise old man that sounds like a, a cowboy i'm not gonna lie um but yeah it's going to be single <laughs> round elimination knockouts ring outs and winning off of points if time elapses i thought that was going to be like important but it wasn't um no. and during the final eight there are no time restraints and the um the ring is going to be bigger so we kind of get this idea that these first like preliminary rounds are supposed to be quick um, it's in a small ring and there's a time limit. You've got to just beat your opponent. Yeah. I think one of the important details here is that there are 137 competitors. And so, you know, there, it's not a small number for Goku and Krillin to have to make their way through and be able to participate in the final eight. But Krillin basically expresses that he's, He's afraid. We haven't gotten to see what the boys can do since their training, honestly. But with the, the rules kind of given to us, one of the first fights that we get to see is Goku versus, I just put down Big Oaf. It's some big, <laughs> meaty, muscle slab guy. He does have a wonderful mustache. That's important. That's a very important detail. <laughs> and 
this guy is basically insulted. He's like, I'm going to just smash you, you little kid. I, I, I love I love that the voice did not match the guy at all. It made it so much better. <laughs> I don't know what they were doing. I think cutting a lot of corners with the voice acting here, but the guy basically tries to smash or grab Goku. Goku ends up behind the guy and then taps him like, hey, I'm over here. And with a single tap of his finger knocks this giant man out of the ring it, it's pretty fun and it's at this moment that goku kind of takes a moment where his other fighters are like oh he got lucky like you know good for him like it's i can't believe he got past the first round goku kind of thinks about it for a moment and he kind of tells krillin that maybe we should hold back like maybe we need to go easy on these guys and that's kind of an eye-opening moment I do also want to bring up just a personal thought I had at this point. Um, so Goku, while not a long stint of training, has trained under Grandpa Gohan. He's received very good martial arts training. And I can say that because I know he's trained under Roshi, right? Yeah. I don't think Krillin has the same level of training in martial arts that Goku has had, or at least not the same quality. All we've seen is that he's trained for eight years under a regime of bullies. And he kind of reflects back on the training he's had and stuff like that. And he's had some some doubts about himself. And I think that needs to be brought up right here, because while they both have trained under Roshi, I think Goku has actually had good martial arts training, whereas Krillin has pretty much only been bullied up to this point. Right. And so while Krillin certainly has some fighting background, I mean, he spent eight years at that temple. I don't think that you would gain confidence in yourself or in your fighting ability when most of that time is spent being bullied and picked on and told that you are less than the other people present at the temple. And I think that that framing is important going forward because it makes Krillin make sense with the decisions and the feelings that he has throughout this tournament. Absolutely. And I think the very next scene is we get to see the monks from the Orin temple where Krillin trained previous show up, see Krillin and proceed to bully him, make fun of him, call him a human punching bag, and then say things like runts are always going to be runts. And that's going to move forward with our next major match, which is Krillin versus one of those very Orin monks. Yeah, and we get this kind of weird, tense stare off before the match starts. And uh, the Orin monk is once again being a bully and kind of pounding his chest and putting Krillin down. But we see right off the bat with the first blows thrown by this bully that Krillin almost kind of effortlessly dodges around them. It's almost like Krillin is able to move without much effort, dodging the blows of his bully. And Krillin is able to land just a single solid blow, knocking this bully clear from the ring, just smashing him against the wall, kind of showing the, the difference between Krillin then and Krillin now. This is a super cathartic moment, right? Where we already know that Krillin's been bullied by these guys. These guys have shown themselves to be complete jackasses. 
So it feels great to have Krillin be strong enough to stand up to his bullies and put them in their place and teach them a lesson. Yeah, it it does feel good. And I mean, it's one of those little wins that I think everybody can get behind. So it's, I think it's a nice little, once again, I'm going to use this word, wholesome moment where it's getting back at the bully sort of thing. And I love it. Yeah, me too. And we kind of continue with the elimination rounds. We get a few other fights with Yamcha versus, uh, I've got weird, goofy nicknames for all these guys, but I call this one <laughs> Karate Muscle Guy. Yes. Uh, and Yamcha just kicks him in the head and knocks him out. We get to see Krillin versus what I dubbed Bruce Lee, because I mean, <laughs> come on, this guy's Bruce Lee. Uh Krillin gets stomped on over and over by this guy and is not phased. And then Bruce Lee just gives up. <laughs> uh, we did we did get to see Yamcha uh, wolf fang fist a wolf. That was neat. <laughs> it was interesting, right? Uh, I like that the wolf is making fun of the name of his attack and whatnot. But uh, we get kind of like the dramatic pose of like, you don't know who's going to go down and the wolf goes down after the exchange. I think the uh, the most meaningful of these quick little fights is Goku fights like the martial artist guy, and he brings up the fact that Goku has no technique. He cannot read Goku because he's just kind of all over the place, and it makes him impossible to fight. Yeah, the very first exchange where Goku is standing there with kind of his arms yes. spread wide, the the martial arts guy says or thinks, He's unguarded on all sides. <laughs> you don't know where to strike because everything's open. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's super interesting. Uh, and then we uh, we get Krillin versus a bear that Krillin kicks between the eyes. And that pretty much wraps up the elimination rounds. And I think we get to find out that Krillin, Yamcha, and Goku all advance to the final eight. Yeah, our our heroes kind of quickly burst through all the preliminary rounds and they're they're going to the the finals. And those start out with episode 21. Watch out, Krillin. And I'm sorry. The, start this one off for me. This is a disgusting episode. I do not like I'm pouring another <laughs> beer. Go ahead and go forward with it. I'll be right back. <laughs> so, this is kind of a strange episode, but Master Roshi basically has been gone for a while here, which the, the rest of the crew feel is kind of suspicious because Balma, Yamcha, everybody expects that he should be washing the fights. And Roshi ends up showing up. He's brought a shirt for Balma to show off her curves, and Balma uppercuts him, kind of getting him off the scene. Uh, but Roshi, now being present, congratulates Goku and Krillin, for advancing to the finals. And then we as the audience are kind of given the tournament roster for the final eight. And that basically reads off as Nam, Ranfan, Jackie Chun, Goku, Krillin, Yamcha, Bacterian, and Monster Beast Girin. And those are going to be our eight competitors in the finals. Yeah, and, and th there's also a brief moment around this point where um, everyone's kind of looking for Master Roshi, but he's kind of nowhere to be found. Um, Krillin and Goku are excited to see their master, watch them get into the finals, and even Balma and Poir and Oolong are unable to locate Roshi, and it's this kind of mysterious moment. 
Yeah, he's. It's strange that he's just kind of nowhere to be found multiple times throughout this tournament. But I will say, it's in this episode we get to meet our uh, classic announcer man. I love announcer man. Oh man, I does he? I have was a so name? excited. <laughs> I think he's just tournament announcer, if I remember right. Hell uh, yeah! But, but yeah, I was I was super excited to hear him and hear his English dub voice actor is. So much fun. I love I love the voice actor for the English dub. So have announcer. they brought the same guy forward through all these years? Is it has it been the same guy since Dragon Ball? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I think there are maybe I know that there's a different announcer in the uh end of Z tournament. I think it's the end of Z. It might be the Goku Jr. tournament that I'm thinking of, like which is you know, Goku's long gone. I'm sure the announcer, the original announcer is long dead. I think actually in the end of Z, I think is the OG announcer with like a bald spot on his head and a mustache. <laughs> That's awesome though, because when I heard that guy's voice, I was just like, is this, is this the same guy? It sounds like, like the him. same guy. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I freaking love it. Yeah, me too. But we get introduced here to, I think Dayton's favorite character in all of Dragon Ball Bacterian, who we find out never has taken a bath since the day he was born. And yeah. so the rest of the competitors are like, all right, you can hang out in the back. We don't want to have to smell you the entire time we're being told what's going on. Yeah, so th this is revealed to be Krillin's opponent for the very first round of the quarterfinals. And as they're marching out to the the area that they're going to battle the arena um it's also revealed that like his underpants are brown because he never washes them and it's just this guy is freaking disgusting and not only is he disgusting he's also huge he's a very large man who just his teeth boy. are yellowed and just there's flies flying around him this guy is legitimately disgusting and uh people also talk about how he fights dirty man uh get it get it but we basically begin the fight between krillin and bacterian uh, the very first thing that bacterian does is burp in krillin's face and krillin's kind of stunned by this the the next move that bacterian uses against him is his smelly finger technique oh no this is you could never do this nowadays this is that it's such a lawsuit <laughs> So Bacterian stuffs his hand down into his pants and rustles it around on his groin, pulls it out with this green fumes coming off of his hand and shoves it into Krillin's face. <laughs> oh, well, it's so a, nasty. <laughs> yeah, this is a nasty fight. Um, but with Krillin stunned once again, Bacterian basically goes and choke holds him Uh Krillin eventually breaks free by kicking him in the face, but then Bacterian proceeds to sit on Krillin, fart on him, and rub his butt all over him. <laughs> yeah, at that point when Krillin was trying to break free and Bacterian is farting on him and rubbing his dirty brown underwear butt on him, I was just like, oh, this, this is nasty. <laughs> yeah i think when i was watching this i was eating food and i had to pause it because i was like i can't i can't eat and watch this at the same I, I time i needed to take a minute to just have a drink of water and sit for a second because they were they were painting a very clear picture of what was happening here something usually they're just like oh this guy smells it's like no nah, 
this guy has brown underwear and he rubs his taint. <laughs> like it was a lot. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot. But eventually Bacterian is kind of stomping on Krillin. Goku hollers out from the sidelines. Krillin, you don't have a nose, remember? <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you have to be reminded that you don't have a nose to not smell things. But yeah, at this point, Krillin hops back up and he's kind of on the edge of being eliminated. But with the Goku pep talk, um, Krillin's now feeling a little invigorated. And we get to see uh, Bacterian use his final ultimate technique. The Lugie of Death. <laughs> I think they're making a big deal out of the Lugie of Death. Like, no one has survived the Lugie of Death. <laughs> it's really gross. That's really gross. I mean, honestly, if someone uses the Lugie of Death on me, just kill me. Like, I, uh, I don't want anything to do with it. <laughs> uh, that's gross. Uh, but at the bare minimum, Krillin is able to dodge the Lugie of Death. And he actually, like, knocks Bacterian down by punching him in the face and he jumps on his chest and then turns around and pulls down his pants and farts on Bacterian's face. <laughs> it's such a ridiculous episode. It's so ridiculous. Yeah, Krillin farts right in his face and <laughs> knocks him out. Uh, they, I think they make a joke that, you know, as familiar as you get with your own scent, you can't handle somebody else's. That's <laughs> Drew, yep. So, yep. Krillin's the winner of the match. That was such Huzzah. a such a silly episode. <laughs> yeah, out of this batch, that might be my least favorite. It's it's just not a pleasant watch, but it is an interesting fighter, I guess. Uh, I mean, if you're gonna make the gross guy, at least actually make him gross. Like, I absolutely believe that this man was really gross. Yeah, I think that might be why neither one of us likes this, is because it's just nasty. <laughs> it is really nasty. So let's go ahead and go to episode 22. How's that sound? Let's do it. All right. So episode 22, Yamcha versus Jackie Chun. With I mean, a U. That's, that's not a play on anybody's name or anything. No, I'm sure. not at all. So anyway, we are getting into match two of the quarterfinals, which is Jackie Chun versus Yamcha. But. Before the match can we begin, Goku, uh, he has to get into an eating contest with his the guy he's going to compete against, Garen. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's the old eating trope, but we get Goku kind of scarfing down hunks of or haunches of meat in competition with Garen, and there's this big back and forth, and eh, makes me hungry. I don't know. Yeah, and basically. Goku notices Nam on the sidelines and Nam's a Nam's a skinny guy and you can actually hear his stomach grumbling. So Goku takes the platter of meat that Giren is digging into and hands it to Nam saying, hey, you know, I, I know you're hungry. You should have some food before the tournament. And Giren is not pleased. Giren basically wants to start a fight over this. Uh, but the the rest of the contestants kind of shut him down. Yeah, we get this kind of brief insight into Garen kind of just being a jerk, which I think is more or less the point of that. But meh. from there, we go into the uh, the second round of the quarterfinals, which is uh, Yamcha versus uh, Jackie Chun, who is definitely not Master Roshi. No, definitely not. Doesn't even look remotely close. Mm, not even similar. 
Nope. But this is a honestly, this is a pretty quick fight. It is. Uh, Jackie Chun at the very start of the fight is able to dodge all of Yamcha's attacks. And he even goes so far as to say, your attacks are big and fun to look at, but they're just a waste of energy, mm-hmm. which I, I like this. I, I like getting that insight into not only Master Roshi or Jackie Chun, uh, being just very knowledgeable about martial arts, but also seeing that while Yamcha is being successful, he's being wasteful in his movements. Yeah, and we get to see Yamcha kind of react to Roshi's, I guess I would call advice because it it seems like it's good advice that a master would give. And this is when Yamcha breaks out the wolf fang fist, his ultimate technique. And Roshi is just, he just dances around it and easily defeats Yamcha with a wind technique that I don't think I've seen before where he channels his his key and knocks Yamcha out with kind of a, a gust of wind, not even touching him. Yeah, this is, it, it's a cool technique and absolutely not something that we've seen at least up to this point in Dragon Ball anyway. And Jackie Chun is the the winner of the match. He goes on to move forward. Yamcha is, uh, I mean, he's he's frustrated, but he thinks that he understands why he lost, and he says that he thinks that Jackie Chun and Master Roshi must be related because yes. they look the same. <laughs> There's definitely a relationship between these two creepy, pervy old men. <laughs> So, I mean, he's on the right path, but I think I think everybody was on that path. Um, but yeah, so Yamcha is defeated, and we get a brief scene with Roshi seeing one of the quarterfinalists named Nam deep in contemplation. And Roshi, this is the most interesting part. He's able to peek into Nam's thoughts to figure out kind of his backstory and what he's thinking about. Yeah, he... Uh, I mean, he Roshi full on reads his mind. He basically sees that Nam comes from a village in the desert where there's no water, the crops are failing. And the reason that Nam traveled here to join the tournament is so that he can win the 500,000 Zenny prize money and take it back to his village to basically save the village, basically bring them food, water, whatever they need with that prize money. And I don't have notes on this, but it just made me think of, I believe when Goku arrives on Namek, he does a similar mind-reading thing in Gohan or Krillin? Krillin. I can't remember. Yeah, on Krillin to figure out what had happened up to the point until he arrived. And I thought this and that probably are connected somehow, but I did not look into it because I literally just thought about it. So it's really funny because I had that in my notes. I wanted to bring that up because there are a lot of people who have only seen Dragon Ball Z who, when Goku does that, they're basically everyone was like, what the fuck? Why can Goku (laughs) read minds? (laughs) Yeah, that's out of left field. Yeah. Now, to be fair, 
even with this moment, they never explain that Master Roshi taught Goku how to do this. But I like this detail where Master Roshi knows how to read Nam's mind. So, I mean, you can kind of infer that maybe Master Roshi taught Goku how to do this. Or, like the Kamehameha, Goku saw Master Roshi do this and just figured it out on his own. <laughs> I mean, yeah, at the bare minimum, there's at least precedent for it. And I mean, in Dragon Ball Z, it was more or less a, like, let me explain to you what happened. Nah, the audience already knows. Let me just read your mind real quick. Okay, we're all caught up here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a tool, right? It's a tool just so that it doesn't waste the audience's time, I guess, more mm -hmm. more than anything else. And I'm going to skim over my notes on Nam because turns out it actually doesn't <laughs> make a lot of difference in everything that happened. But yeah. yeah, he's he's there because his village needs water and he needs to buy water. Uh, yeah. So that... now Nam and this beautiful woman fighter named uh, Ranfan are up next, and we're gonna see them kind of square off in this very goofy match where this Ranfan tries to use her um feminine uh body. To, to win the match i i don't know how to best describe this i mean while the last match probably could not have been something that would have been made in an anime today i feel like this one is kind of pushing that line as well where basically i mean nam is a pretty innocent guy and ranfan is just kind of flirting with him making herself seem like she's like a vulnerable, helpless woman so that he won't hurt her and eventually gets to the point where she just takes off her clothes and she's fighting in her bra and panties and Nam has to close his eyes so that he, you know, is not uh, offended or tempted or whatever and then is able to chop her in the neck and knock her out. That's basically the gist of it yeah the my biggest takeaway from this whole fight was the close your eyes and hone in on your other senses that was my biggest takeaway because this is something that's happened a few times and we had we, we've just covered super right and gohan yeah. does this when he's blinded by the poison of one of those wolf fighters i can't remember his name off the top of my head but this is something that is has continued forward in in dragon ball yeah, I think. Oh, gosh, was it lavender? It was something like that. Yeah, it was one of the uh, the spices. <laughs> it was lavender, but basil, and uh, that the the other guy. One of them. Uh, but yeah, basically, this is a again. This is a good callback. Like this is kind of getting us into sensing energy, which is something that Goku eventually becomes very adept at too, right? Uh, and so that kind of takes us uh, from we get those two fights in this episode and it moves us forward, I think, to the next episode. It does, which is episode 23. He's here, the mighty foe Giren. And uh, yeah, it pretty much starts out pretty quick with Goku and Giren are up next. But the rain starts pouring and so the match is officially postponed. Um, I think we can zoom through a lot of this other stuff up to the match because it's just kind of a some exchanges. Yamcha tells Goku that Garen fights dirty. Um, Garen shows up at a bar. There's a bar fight. Yamcha actually like has a pretty 
stud moment where he stands up to Garen when Garen's about to like kill a guy, and then everyone goes home. Yeah, it's it's characterization for Garen basically is all it's doing. It's showing that he's strong, he's a cheater, and he's kind of an asshole. Yeah. So, yeah, we which I think we already knew because Garen was not willing to share food with the starving guy. <laughs> because exactly, kind of a jerk guy, jerk dinosaur guy. But yeah, anyway, so it's the next day now, and Garen and Goku are called to the stage, but Goku's nowhere to be found. Goku is sleeping somewhere. They find Goku, and now the match can begin. Yeah, and right off the bat, with Goku not paying attention, he kind of gets sucker punched or sucker tail attacked as Garen uses his meaty tail to smack Goku into the wall. And... It, there's a bit of an exchange, Goku punching Giren in the gut, uh, and Giren uses, or I'm sorry, Goku grabs Giren's tail to throw Giren out of the arena. However, Giren's wings are functional, and he's able to fly back into the arena without touching the ground. Yeah, and um, with that per first brief exchange, Garen had gotten that like kind of sucker tail blow on Goku by telling him that like, Hey, I've got a secret in my hand. I'll show it to you. I'll show it to you. And then when oh, Goku yeah. drops his guard because Goku is naive and thinks that he actually has something in his hand. That's when Goku smashes him into the wall and Goku takes it seriously, throws him from the ring. Garen flies back. And this is where we get to see, I would say kind of one of the special techniques that are, I think known throughout Dragon Ball. One of the more interesting ones where Garen opens his mouth and exhales little jelly rings that surround Goku and kind of bind him in his place. Yeah, and Garen calls it his merry-go-round gum, stating that it is unbreakable and it binds Goku's body and Garen uses that opportunity to grab Goku and much like Goku did to Garen, throws Goku out of the arena and pretty much assumes that he's won the match at this point because Goku has no, his arms are bound. He has no recourse to get back into the arena, or at least so he thinks. Yes, and this is where we get to see um, one of our favorite characters, Nimbus, carry Goku back to the ring. And there's kind of a debate on the rules of the Nimbus, and it's judged that the Nimbus is okay this time, because it's just a cloud and that's part of the environment, but it will no longer be accepted at this point forward. So the Nimbus is ruled out. Goku has to figure out other ways to not get ringed out. Yeah. What did you think about this? I had kind of torn feelings about this. Uh, mm. <sighs> so for me personally, I was frustrated a little bit about this because the Nimbus feels like a cheap way for goku to get back into the arena I, and it feels like it feels like outside help to me i, I didn't really like that he was able do, to use do, it to get do you want in. me to comment on it like like what i had felt when i'd seen it or what i feel now that i've seen other things that have happened i guess both okay so when i had seen it happen i was just like eh, like i guess he is kind of skirting the rules sort of thing but whatever like i'm I, at the very bare minimum i'm glad they ruled out nimbus so that way that's no longer a factor um yeah so i i don't know if i liked it or disliked it but i just kind of more or less carried on 
Um, but it's better than another way that Goku gets back in the ring. So <laughs> interesting. Okay, I'll be curious to talk about that then. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the fight carries on. Goku's still bound in the merry-go-round gum, and he eventually just, uh, well, he eventually kind of just kind of breaks the gum. But I think what really is the catalyst here is that he gets attacked by Giren one more time, and Goku is saved by his tail. His tail wraps around Giren's arm, and the, he actually expresses that he feels much stronger when he has his tail, and that's when he bursts out of the gum. Yeah, and kind of the sudden reemergence of the tail is, it's kind of a big deal because that's, that opens up a whole new side of Goku that we had just experienced in the previous arc. And on top of that, it's, it's weird because they didn't really allude to the tail being there until this one very moment. So for me, it was very sudden. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, it's it's kind of weird because we don't know we don't know if it grew back suddenly. We don't know if it's been growing back over time and it just kind of, you know, he just realized it was there. We're not really sure, but it seems a little bit sudden. Yeah, but at, at this point, after seeing Goku bust out of his jelly donuts, Garen more or less throws in the towel knowing that he's kind of outmatched at this point. But we are left with Goku moving on to the next round and his tail is back. These are the two big takeaways. Yeah, I do want to note before we move forward that I felt like this fight was pretty unsatisfying, honestly. Between the Nimbus save and then Garen giving up, I was like, ah, I feel like they could have done a better job with that one. Yeah, well, I mean, there wasn't really any exchange of anything. It was just kind of throwing each other. Then the match is over. So eh, not my favorite match. But whatever, it's the quarterfinals. There's at least going to be a couple more fights, so hopefully it brings it back. Oh, they definitely will. <laughs> they do. And that leads us into episode 24, Krillin's desperate offensive-defensive battle. And we are now in the semifinals at the start of this episode. Yes, and we get a quick interview between Goku and Krillin here, which there's a silly little gag of Goku showing his tail and basically pulling down his pants. So he gets to show off his tail wee and wee? his, his wee wee tail. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we get to see some Goku baby wiener, which is at this point, just you have to see it in every arc in dragon ball. Otherwise it's just, are you really watching dragon ball at that point? I mean, you gotta have your, your dragon balls and your wiener apparently all together. Exactly. They do confirm their ages though, which I thought was interesting. Um, we learned that Goku is 12 and Krillin is 13, which considering they're both about two and a half feet tall, that honestly surprised me. Right. And that I think was part of my mistake last time and saying that Goku was younger than he is. I, f- I forgot actually how old they are here. They are much older than they look in terms of animation, but that kind of pushes us forward into, we get a little song and dance number with Goku and Jackie Chun. And then we get a, fight beginning with Krillin versus Jackie Chun. And this one is pretty fun. This was pretty fun. We get kind of a, this squaring off between the two and um, yeah, we get, uh, let's see here. So we get Krillin going on the attack at the very first. He's kind of trying to push his advantage, his strength. He's won up to this point. 
And it catches Roshi off guard for just a second where he's not really expecting Krillin to kind of go all out like that on him. And we see Roshi kind of doing this slowly ramping up the difficulty throughout the fight sort of thing where he's kind of matching and then overcoming Krillin's attacks. And I, I like that there's not a ton of this in this episode, but I like that it is happening. Yeah, basically he he starts off by punching Krillin with lightning speed where Krillin can't even follow it. And he expresses, or Jackie Chun expresses that he's going to come even faster for the next one. But Krillin's able to follow and actually kind of counter the second punch. And however, the third punch that Master Roshi delivers is the one that knocks Krillin down. Uh, and then we kind of break down into this slow-mo reinterpretation <laughs> of the moments that happen in those quick exchanges. And it's kind of like a, almost like watching a weird theater production or something. <laughs> You know, I kind of laughed at it, but I was kind of like getting ready to get into the moment. So I don't I'm kind of 50 50 on it where I'm just like the idea is funny. I just don't know if it should have been here. Yeah, it kind of takes you out of the fight a little bit. Right. But it's I mean, that's that's kind of Toriyama's M.O. is you get a, a lot of action and you get a lot of goofy gags at the same time. Yeah. So, so we see that in this one little anime dash where they go by each other, um, they had time to like analyze each other's attacks and like sweep under a leg and like dodge a punch and then play rock, paper, scissors. And there's all this goofy stuff that's happening during this, what looks like a brief moment. Actually a ton of stuff had happened. Yeah. Them spitting at each other, all kinds of stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But they eventually get to the point where they're ready to fight again. And Krillin has noticed Jackie Chun being a little bit pervy with Ranfan earlier. So Krillin reaches into his gi using his secret technique, the panty throw. (laughs) (laughs) Are those the, uh, do you think those are the panties Oolong wished for? They look like them. They look very similar, but I don't know where in the world Krillin would have got them from Oolong, but (laughs) they look the same. So yeah, he pulls out his secret technique, throws the girl's underwear on the ground and well, Jackie Chan is very distracted by this, and Krillin knocks Jackie Chan clear from the arena. And it, for a moment, it does look like Krillin has won the fight. However, um, yeah, Jackie Chan is able to whip out a Kamehameha wave that he rides all the way back to the arena and is not knocked out at this point. Right, and this is... People are confused here because people think that Master Roshi is not only the originator of the Kamehameha, but also one of the only people who can use it, maybe outside of Goku. But so there's a little bit of questioning of his identity here going on. Uh, But the fight continues with Krillin charging at Roshi. And at this point, Master Roshi whips out his after image technique so, so cool. So freaking uh, cool. It's really fun to see the origin of this technique. So Krillin basically tries to attack this uh, this image, this still image of Roshi. And Roshi is, by that point, already behind Krillin, even though he looks like he's still in front of him. So he chops Krillin in the back of the neck, knocking him out and winning the fight. It is so fun. I think this is such a fun fight. It's not the best fight. 
but I do think it's a very fun fight. And we get to see kind of the creative use of, of techniques that I think we kind of take for granted at this point. Um, and when Roshi rides back to the arena, um, using the Kamehameha wave, it also made me think of, cause I will always think of Dragon Ball Z. Um, Goku mm-hmm. actually uses one of his key blasts to dodge one of Frieza's key blasts early on in their fight. And so it's one of those little references that just uh, might not mean a lot, but that sort of attention to detail, I absolutely love. Yeah, I, I like this. I like how creative the fights are in this tournament, especially for situations like none of our characters here can fly yet for the most part. Uh, and so having to find creative ways to get yourself back into the ring when you're, you know, soaring through the air and you're not over top of the ring anymore, like blasting the Kamehameha. This is cool. I, I like getting to see stuff like this. I also like getting to see that Krillin is not only resourceful, but powerful and was somewhat close to taking a win off of Jackie Chun or, as we know, Master Roshi. Yeah, like Roshi had to try during the match, and that's a big deal considering Krillin's 13 years old and Master Roshi is a master. So just seeing Krillin, I like it when Krillin's taken at least somewhat seriously. He has trained his whole life, and he is a martial artist at his core, and I like seeing that kind of in effect. Yeah, I agree. So this was this was fun to watch. I think that pretty much carries us on to the next episode. It does, which is episode 25. Get up, Goku, the fearsome uh, Tenku Pekijiken. <laughs> I got nothing on that, but it's basically the flying air attack. <laughs> cool. All right. Yep. So, yeah, flying air attack, episode 25. And this is the last semi-final match, and it's Goku versus Nam. And we have um, some really fun stuff that I think happens in this match. But if you want to go ahead and get it started, I want to gush a little bit after you do. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So one of the funny things here is that Goku right off the bat says, I'll try the technique Jackie Chun used to beat Krillin. And so once again, just like he used the Kamehameha after watching it one time, he emulates the after image technique and he uses it against Nam. However, Nam is able to sense Goku and dodges the attack. So both fighters right off the bat are showing some high level of skill and high level of mastery. This is, this is an impressive fight right away. Uh, And so they continue to exchange blows. Eventually Goku uses his tail to grab Nam's leg and trip him. uh, And they seem on relatively even footing, but Goku's just pulling out these random tricks out of, you know, this just creative bag that he has in his mind. And so he ends up trying a tornado attack, which is just yes, him spinning I, I like a top. I think this is Goku's first original technique, I think, at this point, is the tornado attack. It's not something he's seen. He just said, hey, I thought of something, and then I'm going to try it, which is hilarious. The tornado attack is exactly the attack that I think a kid would come up with. Yeah, 100%. And yeah, I think you're right. This might be one of the few original attacks that we see from Goku in all of Dragon Ball. (laughs) What, are you going to beat me with your stolen techniques? (laughs) 
King Kai, did I learn the Kaioken by myself? King names in it. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we get to see the tornado attack, which is Goku just spinning very quickly. And Nam is kind of pushed back and there's no weakness to this attack. It's, he's pretty much, you know, unassailable. And once Nam is pushed all the way back to the edge and he's thinking about how he's going to be defeated, we see Goku kind of stop at that last dramatic moment and uh, fall down because it turns out spinning a whole lot makes you really dizzy. Yeah, and so Nam, thinking that he was defeated, thinks now that he has an opportunity to take the win. So seeing Goku lying on the ground, Nam leaps up into the air and flies downward at Goku using his aerial attack, uh, crossing his arms and chopping Goku in the neck. Basically, Nam's intent here was to avoid Goku's tail because he was concerned about that still lashing out at him, even though he was dizzy and helpless on the ground. And so... Even the audience, I think Jackie Chun or Master Roshi included, says that Goku's not going to be able to get up as they begin the 10 count. Yeah, and it's kind of this tense moment because Goku had just got flying double judo chopped on the neck. And towards the end of the 10 count, because we have to read dramatic, Goku kind of pops up and he's kind of choking and just basically barely able to catch his breath. But Goku is back in fighting form at this point. And this is where Nam realizes that he's like he he has to pull out all the stops, and he even kind of like apologizes in his mind what he has to do to Goku at this point. And so, we get the scene where Nam leaps up into the air and he's getting ready to do this super awesome final aerial attack thing. But I did actually laugh at this point because Goku sees Nam jump into the air, and so Goku jumps into the air, and there's this brief moment where they pass each other midair. Yeah, I thought that was pretty funny, too. And so Nam kind of thrown off. He's, you know, gets out of his form for the attack. Goku kind of tries, says that he accidentally jumped too high. So he kind of rockets down to meet Nam. And they actually begin fighting in the air here, too. And so they eventually, uh, Goku ends up rocketing down to the ground, trying to beat Nam there. This, this part kind looks of, really good. I really like this part. Yeah, I, I thought this looked really cool too. But Nam thinks, you know, this is great. I'm going to use my aerial attack and chop him again. But Goku hits the ground, jumps back away from where Nam is going to land. And then just as Nam is about to hit the ground, Goku leaps and kicks him right in midair and knocks him out of the arena. It's so good. It's... it's this scene is not necessarily like amazingly animated or anything like that. It does look great from like something that's from the eighties. Oh yeah. But it's very thoughtful. And I like that where it's the, they very clearly show Goku hit the ground immediately dodge to the side. And then in that vulnerable state where Nam's kind of hitting the ground, that's when Goku strikes knocking him from the arena. It's a very thoughtful exchange versus just a very flashy exchange and i appreciate that about it i agree almost all of these fights outside of some of the the goofier ones like bacterian they feel very they feel while they feel extravagant uh in terms of power they feel grounded at the same time because it's 
you you kind of feel like oh you know it makes sense that he would try to dodge out of the way and then attack while the guy's still in midair and still vulnerable and can't can't move can't dodge can't protect himself i don't so, know man it, it makes sense to me if someone who didn't shower ever rubbed their taint and tried touching me with it that i would also just die I never want a loogie of death to hit me ever, <laughs> ever. It is the ultimate technique. <laughs> but that basically wraps up that round. Uh, we get Goku is the victor here. Now, there's a little bit before the end of the episode, though, because Nam takes the loss with grace. He comes over and congratulates Goku for his win. And... Roshi ends up catching Nam before Nam leaves and he gives him a capsule and Nam says this this is an empty capsule and Roshi proceeds to say exactly you can fill it with whatever you'd like including as much water or food as you can fit inside of the capsule. Yeah, and he even points out like a well nearby where there's as much free water that anyone could ever want. And that I think he said that water is as abundant as air in these lands. And this kind of like blows Nam's mind. And after this, there's a brief exchange where Nam kind of figures out that that Jackie Chan is Master Roshi. And he asks, why? Why did you enter the tournament under this alias? And this is where we get the explanation from, from Roshi that he entered this tournament because if either of his pupils won this tournament, they wouldn't be properly motivated to continue training. And so he entered as a way to make sure that they always had someone out there that they thought that they needed to surpass. They always had that next level that they would be looking to achieve. Yeah, I love this. This is basically giving us all of the information about what this tournament is about, what this story arc is about, and why Master Roshi is competing in the tournament. He even goes so far as to say that Goku and Krillin are already at the top of the martial arts world at the ages 12 and 13. However, he doesn't want them to realize that because he thinks that they'll just get bored and not be interested in improving or pushing themselves or continue even maybe stop pursuing martial arts entirely. Yeah, so, well, the, the goal isn't to be the best martial artist. The goal is to achieve your pinnacle potential, right? Exactly. So he doesn't want them to stop pushing themselves uh, and being the best that they can be just because they're, you know, near the top or at the top of everybody else, more or less. Yeah. And I think that more or less brings us into episode 26, which is the final round. Kamehameha. And, uh, I'll let you know right now, this is a wild episode, <laughs> a really fun episode, but it is wild. These next three episodes are fantastic. Aren't they? They are edge of the seat. Oh my God. I don't want to take notes because I just want to watch. Yeah. Yeah. I think I had to go through them a couple of times because of that, but we basically start right off with the final battle in the tournament with Goku versus Jackie Chun. And 
this is this fight is fantastic. Goku immediately is uh, they they begin some exchanges where Goku kind of leaps up into the air to dodge away from one of Jackie Chun's attacks. However, he leaps Which is himself. a big deal because in all the other rounds, Roshi was on the defensive. This is the first round where he went to strike the first blow. I thought that was really interesting because it shows the respect that Roshi has for Goku, even at this point. That's a good point that Master Roshi changed his tactics against Goku. And so Goku at that point, though, leaves himself open in midair and Jackie Chun kicks him out of the arena. So a lot of the people, even in the audience, are saying like, oh, you know, that was fast. Like this was supposed to be the final fight. Uh, what's going on here? And Dayton, I can, I can see Dayton's face right now and he's not uh -huh. happy. So uh -huh. I, I think this is the other point that Dayton was talking about where we find that Goku flies uh -huh. back to the arena, not on the Nimbus cloud, but using his tail as a helicopter. <laughs> I have a note in here that just says, uh, Tails from Sonic? What? <laughs> <laughs> I, if he would have rode back to the arena on a Kamehameha wave, I would have laughed because doing that to Roshi, using his own technique and the, his own re-entry into the arena would have been beautiful. Um, yeah. I don't know what this was. <laughs> you know, and it's funny, the more I'm thinking on it. So I'll be honest, when I watched this, these episodes together, I was more bothered by the Nimbus cloud save than I was this save. Oh, were you? Honestly, I was. But the more that I'm thinking on it, the less I like this one. If only because for me, the fact that he can do this right now with his tail kind of should express that he should be able to do this at any time of this tale. So the fact that I don't think this ever comes up again. This feels like no a throwaway sense. drogue, do, do, doesn't it? Like, this feels like a throwaway thing where we, we got a good laugh and then this will never come up again. Yeah, which is, I think that that's my biggest problem with this. I mean, set aside the nonsensical bullshit that is how the fuck do you fly <laughs> with a tail, but... I mean, my thing with the Nimbus is, uh, well, I, I watch sports, so I get the referees making a stupid call. Whereas, like, the tail thing bothers me because it there's nothing good about it. It offers nothing. I don't like it. Yeah, that's fair. I Honestly, the other thing that's probably problematic here is that Goku even goes so far as to say, I could have used a Kamehameha like oh, you did. Oh, that's right. He did say that. God damn. Yes. Why didn't he just do it then? <laughs> yeah, I, I think that they just wanted. I, I think, like you said, I think it was just a goofy gag with his tail. Yeah. And kind of like how you've brought up um, Toriyama likes to turn expectations kind of on their head sort of thing. Right. I think that's literally all this was. It was like catch people off guard dot joke. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah, so the more it, I think about it, the less I like it. <laughs> this one bothered the crap out of me. I, I'll i take the Nimbus save over this one every day of the week because the Nimbus save is just, meh, I don't like it, whereas this one breaks rules and other things, and uh, I don't I don't really want to touch it. Yeah, yeah, the more I'm thinking on it, I, I think I do agree with you. Uh, but 
that basically gets Goku back into the arena to fight Jackie okay, some Okay, so more. here's the thing, all right? So I'm not done on this yet. Oh, uh, <laughs> So what happens next is Goku actually mentions to Roshi that he could have used the Kamehameha, Kamehameha wave to come back, right? So yeah. he mentions it, and this results in uh, Roshi challenging him to Kamehameha waves. I'm not... I guess I'm not following you. I like what they used the, the coming. It, it it would have meant so much more if Goku rode back on a Kamehameha wave and then Roshi challenging it versus the weird tail thing where he flies back. Oh, I see what you're saying. You're saying there would have been a really good parallel between Jackie Chun, who mm-hmm. is this, you know, disguise of Roshi, now knowing that Goku can use the Kamehameha and then saying, hey, I want to challenge your Kamehameha. Yeah, it could have been so much better because as soon as Goku gets back into the arena, Goku is challenged on his mastery of the Kamehameha wave. And so Jackie Chan and Goku begin charging Kamehamehas. So it actually would have been a great lead into that exchange. Yeah, that's true. I I think the tale ends up just being a part of what dragon ball is at at its heart like the original dragon ball which is a lot of turning expectations and goofy gags um but i i agree with you that i think that the kamehameha would have not only been it would have been a much better connective tissue for all of those pieces to come together basically all right i'm gonna give it up i think we've spent enough time on the tail gag (laughs) but this does lead into a really cool moment of two Kamehamehas. And this is, for me, I love this because this is basically the... First beam battle? First beam battle? Exactly. The <laughs> the first interpretation of what a beam struggle looks like. Mm, so uh, good. And th- while they, they don't, you know, push back and forth like they do in some of the Dragon Ball Z beam struggles, this basically ends in the two Kamehamehas coming together and just blasting them both back in this big explosion. But this is this is super cool. I love this. Yeah, this is, I mean, honestly, this is iconic Dragon Ball at its heart. We get to see, I mean, and this is original Kamehameha where each of those, Kamehame- like the, the Kai Blast are unique at this point. And so seeing two of right. them this early on, and they animate it so well. There's so much more time and care taken into each of these uh, uh, key blasts. And so it feels so meaningful when it does happen. I don't know. It. I was super excited about it. I was so jonesed about it, especially after you've spent decades seeing Kamehameha's, then going back to the originals and seeing, just I don't know. It's so good. There's something unique and special about it. I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. We even get a little bit of dialogue from Jackie Chun or Roshi, who is shocked at Goku's level of expertise in the technique after only seeing it one time. So they basically continue the fight from there where Jackie Chun then uses his afterimage technique, but it's a double afterimage to fake out Goku. And Jackie kicks Goku in the back of the head. And then Goku proceeds to use the after image technique not once not twice but three times <laughs> yes it's, it's quintessential goku he can see anything and he can learn it and even improve upon it yeah so we get the triple after image jackie chun thinks that he knows where goku's going to be because he expects the double 
And then he gets the axe handle strike to the back of the head from Goku. Yeah, and at this point, you can tell that Roshi's getting frustrated. He's getting kind of out of his element. He, You can tell he did not expect this to be as difficult as, as it was. And we get Roshi kind of slipping into some weird foot movements, and we see kind of some cheeks turning red and he's stumbling around and he's acting all kind of erratic. And um, I was actually pretty excited because this was the first time we, I think have seen drunken style and dragon ball. And this, as far as I know, this might be one of the only style or only times we've seen drunken style. Yeah. Yeah. There might be maybe one other time, but this is really cool because this is taking it feels again, it feels more like martial arts. This feels like a, a technique or a style of fighting. And Goku's really struggling to fight against it. Master Roshi is easily kind of duping Goku at the start. And then once Goku kind of catches on, Goku's trying to land blows on Roshi, but Roshi moves so fluidly while being drunk or fake drunk mm-hmm. that he's able to dodge and then deliver these awkward uh, i mean these strange body movements uh, as far as counterattacks, but easily landing blows on goku as well yeah and this is i mean it speaks to the experience of the master right it's when he's in a losing situation he can figure out how to adapt and overcome it and we see goku kind of responding in kind in his own weird way something that we don't think we've ever seen before Goku kind of slips into his, I don't know, I guess, primeval form and drops down to all form or all fours. And he's like scratching his butt and hopping around and looking all weird. And he reveals that this is his monkey style that he is now going to use on Master Roshi. Yeah, crazy monkey style. And this kind of turns the tables where Goku is at this point while moving like a wild animal, he's kind of flipping on his hands and dodging these attacks in these strange ways, very much incorporating his tail into his combat with tripping Roshi and dodging and bouncing around, scratching Roshi's face, uh, and is able to kick Roshi into the wall. Uh, and then this kind of prompts Roshi to change things up one more time, and he's going to deliver his secret attack we get to see him waving his hands and his eyes glow and that's kind of the cliffhanger that they yeah he's even claiming that the match is now over so this is big claims from the big master yeah and i think that pretty much carries us right into the continuation episode of this fight which is episode 27 goku's greatest pinch which is an interesting name but uh it starts off with roshi continuing his spell that's the only way i could describe it And it turns out to actually be hypnotism. And we see Goku telling Goku, or I'm sorry, Roshi telling Goku that he's a very sleepy boy. So sleepy. Oh, such a sleepy boy. And Goku actually kind of falls asleep right there, face first into the arena. And we get our 10 count starting. Yeah. And it gets close to the end of the 10 count and our audience is kind of yelling Yamcha, Krillin, people are hollering at Goku to wake up but it's Bulma who comes up with the perfect solution as she yells, 
Goku, your dinner's ready. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's what that's what an infinite money education gets you right there. <laughs> but no, I thought it was clever, and it's quintessential Goku who quickly his ha- his tail like spikes up, and then he jumps to his feet and like he's rubbing the sleep out of his eyes, like, "Huh, dinner? Where? Huh?" Yeah, and I mean, you know, this is a silly gag, but it's going to be a running gag moving through the entire show, and so. <laughs> The hypnosis fails to work, and we kind of get our exchange between Roshi and Goku continuing with the John Ken Pawn or the rock, paper, scissors technique. I and thought this was fun. I thought this was super fun. I like this a lot, uh, especially because Goku uses the rock, paper, and scissors, all three, and Roshi is easily able to defend each attack. Uh, and he actually explains that the reason he's able to do that is because he knew Goku's grandpa, Gohan, who was the maybe the originator or a very practiced martial artist in this uh, technique, this John Kenpon technique. And however, we all have seen Goku be pretty innovative and create new techniques on the fly. So he takes his John Kenpon technique and instead of yelling rock when he goes to punch Roshi, he yells scissors to fake him out and punches him right in the nose. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Master Roshi responding to the call and not the attack is just blasted with a serious blow. And this kind of pushes Roshi into a corner. He's actually kind of being beaten back by Goku at this point. And this pushes Roshi to use another new technique. And it's one that he's only ever used once before. And the last person he used it against was once again, uh, Grandpa Gohan. Yeah. And this, we basically get to see Master Roshi channeling his key into his hands in what almost looks like lightning. And he blasts Goku with it dragging him up into the air with this lightning key. Lightning flash surprise attack. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Goku's screaming in pain. And Roshi actually says, give up or you'll die. This technique is so dangerous. That's why he didn't want to use it is because he's worried that it's going to kill Goku. Yeah. And we get Roshi pleading with Goku to give up. And then every time Goku pushes back, Roshi kind of, amps up the the intensity of the lightning attack and Goku is pushed to the edge. He's basically about to give up and as he's midway through saying those words, saying I give up, the moon is suddenly out and also full and uh, turns out Goku has his tail back at this moment and we get to see the Ozaro transformation finally well not finally start to begin yeah and the rest of our cast is pretty familiar with this form so we see balma yamcha par and oolong are all pretty afraid as they see goku transform into this great ape and break out of the lightning flash surprise attack and goku begins to run a rampage destroying the tournament building and people are afraid for their lives. People are running away. Roshi, however, stuck in the arena with him and Roshi 
starts to get serious. We see him take off his shirt yeah. and he starts to go into beefcake mode. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he, he even says, I'm going to charge up a maximum Kamehameha wave. And you see him just pour everything, every ounce of him into this giant freaking key blast. And he blasts monkey Goku out of existence. Yeah, the drama here is great because we actually get a shot of Yamcha and the rest of the cast saying, oh no, he's going to kill Goku. Like he thinks he has to kill Goku to stop him because they know that they could just cut his tail off. And Yamcha's running to the arena trying to stop Master Roshi from blasting Goku, but he's too late. The Kamehameha goes off and it seems like Goku is blown away by the Kamehameha and that's kind of where uh they end that episode yes and I will continue forward because I was excited to see episode 28 which is clash power versus power and we pretty much right off the bat we get a brief moment of kind of pause to appreciate Goku's life or death whatever you you want to call it at this point but Roshi reveals that Goku was not the target of his maximum Kamehameha wave. It was actually the moon. Roshi blew up the goddamn moon. I mean, what a badass. I do <laughs> want to say, though, before that, we, we get a brief scene. And I, I re- again, I like the drama here because we get to see Balma crying and Yamcha holding her, comforting her. Uh, Krillin screaming out and, you know, yelling for his friend. And... There's even a line, I think, from Balma when they're, the announcer is declaring Jackie Chun the champion of the fight. And Balma screams out, he's no champion. He's a murderer. <laughs> I love that line. <laughs> it's really good. I do like when um, Roshi announces they blew up the moon that people are like, well, hold on. <laughs> like, where are we supposed to go Like on long walks and stuff under the moonlight? Like, you... You shouldn't have done that. There, why did you do that? Yeah, what about the the tide? Like, what about what's going to light up the night sky? <laughs> <laughs> I am glad they at least poked fun at it. Yeah, I also wanted to point out, maybe, you know, 15 episodes ago or 20 episodes ago, we had Goku place a rabbit on the moon. Oh, I forgot about that. So say goodbye to Boss Rabbit. (laughs) I'm really going to have to pay attention to whether the moon is in a shot or not from here on out, because it is now relevant. I do just want to point out, and we'll have to discuss this more later, but the moon comes back in Dragon Ball Z. So Gohan transforms when he's being trained by Piccolo because of the moon. And then Piccolo blows up the moon. (laughs) (laughs) So... Somebody explain that bullshit. <laughs> maybe, maybe Dragon Ball does explain that. I don't know. We'll we'll figure it out as we keep watching, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the video games tries to explain it away, but it's... Yeah, the video game fixes it. Yep, that's what I've always said. Oh, <laughs> uh, geez. So anyway, um, so uh, Master Roshi blows up the moon, and we pan over to a naked Goku lying in a pile of rub- rubble just at the edge of the arena. And, you know, like we've said, you got to have some naked Goku in your story arc. And 
Otherwise, it doesn't matter. Is it really Dragon Ball if Goku isn't naked? Yeah, this is actually pretty funny to me, if only because Krillin offers to give Goku his gi because the announcer is kind of stopping the fight uh, because he doesn't want to get in trouble for us having to stare at floppy Goku wiener the rest of the fight. <laughs> yeah, so it's awfully distracting. Uh, Krillin donates his clothes, and then Krillin just puts on his other normal clothes, so everything's cool. There are no naked children running around at this point, thank God. <laughs> no more wieners. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Um, yeah, and we pretty much get back to the martial arts tournament, which kind of surprised me with all the crazy stuff that had just happened, but yeah, we're diving right back into the tournament, and the first thing we find out is that blowing up the moon is apparently exhausting because Roshi cannot channel um, Kamehameha waves or anything like that anymore. Yeah, he actually tries to fire off another Kamehameha and it fizzles out. And so Goku uses that opportunity to fire off his own Kamehameha. And while small, it is enough to get Master Roshi or Jackie Chun to dodge up into the air and Goku did this deliberately so that he could leap up and kick Jackie Chun out of the arena. And it seems at first like this is going to work. Jackie Chun's getting ready to fall just outside of the arena. However, he is a resourceful old man and he manages to save himself. Yeah, so there's actually a brief moment where everyone's celebrating Goku's victory. It appears like Master Roshi's standing just outside the ring. But after closer inspection, Roshi had dug his foot into the side of the arena and had managed to stave off elimination probably by inches. And so the fight oh, yeah. is permitted to continue forward. Yeah, so... Jackie Chun climbs. Do you, okay, real quick. Do you think this is a reference to Vegeta standing on pieces of the arena during Super? Or maybe the inverse, right? Uh, with them kind of taking a similar idea of Master Roshi, like sticking his foot into the arena uh, and then Vegeta kind of doing something similar by stepping on a piece of the arena. Yeah, I, mean, I definitely felt there was some sort of maybe connection between those two things right there at that point. So it's Going to go ahead and be like, all right, I see what you're doing, Super. So I'll uh, I'll recognize it at least. I'm not going to lie. When I was watching this, it's been so long since I've seen Dragon Ball that I was actually thinking, I was like, does Master Roshi step on a piece of the arena like Vegeta did? <laughs> see, I like I, I know we've talked about this, but I really haven't seen Dragon Ball. So I had no idea. I thought Roshi was out. I didn't know any better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and again, that's, you know, Toriyama trying to turn subvert expectations. So, right. But the, think... that worked, though, that like I actually thought he was out for that moment. Yeah. Yeah. That, that one is pretty convincing. They even show a shot of him like of his upper body outside of the arena. <laughs> it's super fun. And that that's one of those ones where it didn't bother me because it was definitely like old man, clever way of, I understand the rules and I will operate as far as I can in them. Oh yeah. Yeah. I know where this box is. I will use every <laughs> inch of that box mm -hmm. to figure so, out how to get this victory. <laughs> that That is the move of a master. And I appreciated it. I totally agree. I liked that one a lot actually. Uh, but it, it culminates in, our combatants basically expressing that they have no more energy for flashy moves. 
So this is going to be a hand-to-hand brawl from here on out. Yeah, and so once the hand-to-hand fight picks up, they battle like this for over four hours, and they kind of time jump ahead, and both of them are looking worse for wear. They're both beat up and exhausted and breathing heavily, and at some point they both just agree that this match needs to end and so they want to do one final exchange. Yes. So Master Roshi is trying to find a way to end this match because he knows he's coming to the end of his his stamina, basically. And he thinks about the size of Goku's body. He thinks, uh, I can't do any limb locks because he's so small. But with small limbs, I bet I could try something else. So he goads Goku into one final charge where they leap into the air, flying kicks, uh, exchanging the kicks at one another. And what Jackie knows is that his legs are longer, so he can get deeper into the kick than Goku can. But they both knock each other down and out. And we are at this point waiting for the 10 count to see who gets up first. Yeah. And, um, they're both laying on the ground and the 10 count goes through. And so technically it's a draw, but because it is the final match of the world martial arts tournament or the 10 Kaichi Budokai play that game, um, there has to be a winner. And so the first combatant to stand up and declare themselves the winner is the winner of this match. And so we get this moment where Roshi and Goku are so exhausted and beat up and just basically completely out of shape where they're competing against each other to try and stand up and declare themselves the, the winner. We do get a very small moment where it looks like Goku's going to stand up and he's going to make that announcement. But before he can finish the last syllable, literally the last syllable, he collapses to the ground in exhaustion. And then Goku or not Goku, uh, Master Roshi stands up and he takes victory at the very last moment. And he is the world martial arts champion. And he's happy to yell it out and declare it. He's dancing, right? He's shaking that booty. That's right. And so Goku basically wakes up. He finds out that he did not win the match. And we kind of get everything coming to a close here. Goku expresses that he wants to fight Jackie again after more training. And Jackie dips out so that he can rip off his glued on wig Uh, and get back into his Roshi persona. And Roshi basically expresses, like, there are a lot more strong guys out there like Jackie Chun, so you guys need to really jack up your training, and it's going to be harder from here on out. (laughs) Yeah, it's the, I mean, it's the motivation to continue training at that point. And Goku is, you know, he gladly agrees to keep training and get stronger and to uh, try and beat, Jackie Chun the next time they meet, but before anything else happens, Goku has an empty belly and they need to go fill it. (laughs) That's right. And with 500,000 zenny in his pocket, Roshi watches Goku eat 
something around 57, 60, 57, 57 full course meals, <laughs> 57 full course meals and rack up a tab of 470,000 zenny using almost the entire prize money that he won to be the world champion. It's kind of funny to me because there's a lot of kind of karmic justice in Dragon Ball. And this is another example of it where uh, Roshi more or less wasn't really deserving of that money, right? Like he had no real motivation to be in that tournament, but he ended up walking away the winner. Like, it's like, yeah, I'm going to teach my students, my pupils a lesson. What if I make 500,000 zenny on the side? That's not a big deal. Like, it's not really a... Uh, there's a reason why he can't ride the Nimbus cloud. Let's put it that way. Yeah, and they even give a hint that he's going to use that money on ladies. But it's a, it's kind of a funny karmic justice, if only because in the end, Master Roshi joined that tournament for the benefit of both Goku and Krillin because he wanted them to continue their training and to continue to improve and better themselves and grow as young men. And so he's he's doing something pretty selfless here, but there's the added benefit of being the world champion and getting that 500,000 zenny and then being able to use that on dirty stuff. So Yeah, see, my thing is, is at this ending, it made me think, do you think Master Roshi is being paid out for the milk deliveries and construction work and field plowing that his pupils are d- doing? Because my heart says probably. I mean, shit, man, let's hope so. He's got to feed those kids. <laughs> That's so true. That one money's got to come from somewhere. <laughs> yeah, one meal for them costs almost 500,000 zenny, so I hope it pays well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> No, I think that brings us to the very end of the uh, Budokai Tenkaichi arc, which um, I'll go ahead and start giving my final thoughts. Um, This was a boatload of fun. I honestly really enjoyed most of it. The first couple episodes were a little slow for me. Um, There were some scenes with uh, Yamcha and Balma Poir and Oolong kind of doing stuff in the jungle and desert and stuff. And I thought it was important, but turns out it wasn't. But the training with Goku and Krillin, not only is it good to see people or episodes where they're working towards something and getting results, but there's plenty of episodes where there's character building kind of, I guess, molded into that with Krillin kind of overcoming his childhood bullies and building confidence. And Goku, hopefully, well, actually, I've seen Super, but Goku being aware that he's naive and can be tricked and lets his guard down. But we get to see some of that. And we also get to see kind of bonds building between, say, Yamcha and Bulma. And, well, Bulma and Yamcha and our uh, Goku and Krillin. So we get to see Yamcha kind of turn less into villain and more into friend. So we get to see that involvement. And we also get to see Roshi being the master. So there's a ton to like throughout this. And during the last few episodes, the animation for the fights were for a 1980s cartoon were fantastic. Very, very well thought out and a lot of fun to watch. So I have a lot of good to say about this. A couple nitpicks, but overall, I thought it was a fantastic series to watch. I very much agree with you. I think very similar thoughts where the first couple episodes are a touch slow, but it is kind of building up into the training. And then the, the training is both 
fun, engaging, and honestly, fairly concise. I think it's only a couple of episodes that cover the training itself. And then we dive right into the tournament. And I love that the tournament not only shows unique fighters with fun techniques and unique abilities that we as the audience are excited to see come to the forefront and see how they work, what they do, but it also keeps the fighting fairly grounded. As much as I love, absolutely love, some high power level, kick-ass energy blast Dragon Ball fights, I also really love the grounded martial arts style fights where the combat is very well thought out and feels like something that might actually happen in real life. And they do that here very well. I also really like while uh, some of the fights are contained in a single episode, even some episodes having multiple fights in them, the final fight takes three episodes and I don't think that that's too long. I think it actually is starting to move in the direction of Dragon Ball Z, where we have dozens of episodes that cover an entire fight. But I think the three-episode fight between Goku and Master Roshi is the perfect length. I think that it keeps you engaged. It has multiple cliffhangers for those the end of the episodes in between. And it doesn't feel like there's any time wasted. I felt the entire time like I was engaged and interested in what was going to happen next. That is a great way to put that because I think everybody's heard of the Goku versus Frieza meme where five minutes takes 20 episodes, right? Um, yeah. So and the, the, the pacing throughout the martial arts tournament was fantastic. We got to see an entire tournament in, well, God, it wasn't even the whole arc. So in like 10 episodes. And so the fights were concise um, and they were fun. And we we get to see some sort of character development throughout it, right? It's not just whipping out more power than the opponent. It's There's actual thought involved. And even if the animation isn't 2022, hashtag current year, um, level animation, like the, the the thought process is there and you can see it and you can be like, all right, I loved when Goku sidestepped um, the aerial strike and uh, hit Nam in the side and knocked him from the arena. Like that looked amazing because it's, it's thoughtful. And that's the type of thing that ages really well because it's less about the animation and more about the event. And you can really hammer and focus in on that. Yeah, absolutely. I'll be honest. So compare this, take this fight between Goku and Master Roshi and then compare it to any fight in Dragon Ball Super. Now, I'm not saying this fight is better than every single Dragon Ball Super fight, but I will say that comparing the animation here and the quality of content for this fight and take that compared to a large number of the fights in Dragon Ball Super, and I'd take this fight any day over a lot of those fights, honestly. I still like 30 years later, roughly, I still spent or felt the suspense. I still felt like involved in and drawn in. I wanted to know what happened next. It's funny because like at the beginning, I was just like, all right, I'm watching some episodes. And then at the end, I was just like, oh, my God, I need to see the next episode. Screw the notes. I'm watching. Yeah, I so I also wanted to point out, I, I keep comparing this to Super because I think it's fresh in our minds since we just watched it. But I did notice that 
I was very excited to watch through Dragon Ball again, even though I've seen it before already. But I, I kept wanting to watch the next episode, but I didn't feel that same way while going through Super for the second time or the I think it might have even been my third time watching it. Uh, if only because I think it has something to do with the 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 stakes, the pacing, the the level of engagement that you get with the characters and their story arcs. And I super just just missed the mark on some of those things, unfortunately. Yeah, a lot of the um the childish jokes work here because we are dealing with children, right? It's a bunch of kids at some martial arts tournament and there's nothing at stake. The only thing at stake is kind of their pride. If they don't win the tournament, then they don't win the tournament. And in, in fact, they were told from the get go, the expectation is to not win the tournament. And so all, all of my expectations are shelved where they need to be. And so I can enjoy the fights and all the comic and the humor and the exchanges for what they're meant to be. Whereas in something like Super, the universe is at stake. And so I don't know where my expectations should be. So I, I have to give Dragon Ball credit. I knew I knew what the stakes were. I knew what to laugh at and what to take seriously. Whereas in Super, I was confused sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, I felt the same way. I, I like the kind of grounded stakes that we get of worrying about Goku and Krillin's development as as people, as martial artists, as young men, and worrying that if one of them does win, that they will stop growing, stop learning, or say, you know, eh, I'm already good enough. I don't need to worry about this, or, you know, just kind of become jaded. So we worry about them as people and kind of their personality going forward. And, like, we, we've we spent a lot of time with Master Roshi throughout Dragon Ball Z and beyond. and. In original Dragon Ball, this is probably the most impactful, meaningful time you will spend with Roshi. So let's figure out why he was the master. Let's figure out how he had an impact on the development of Goku and Krillin and maybe the other Z fighters. And like, it's it really is a big origin story, not only for Goku and Krillin, but Roshi, a character who I think is very often kind of left to the side. Yeah, absolutely. And we didn't end up talking about the full character arc for Krillin, but I think that that's really important here too, because by the time Krillin is in the tournament, not only do we get that cathartic moment of him kicking the crap out of his bullies, which is really cool, but he's also changed as a person at this point. You get the impression that he's less willing to cut corners, less willing to you know, cheat himself out of the hard work that got him to where he is at this tournament. And we also get to see kind of at the beginning of this arc, um, Krillin and Goku were kind of rivals. Whereas towards the end of this arc, like Krillin is grieving over the perceived death of Goku and they're kind of rooting for each other and giving each other encouraging words. And you see that relationship starting to build you're starting to see them become less rivals and more actual friends. And that's important because, well, throughout Dragon Ball Z, that's something that they don't shy away from. So it's amazing to see where the origins are. Yeah, yeah. We kind of glossed over a little bit the fact that particularly Goku to Krillin, Goku is throughout the entire tournament cheering Krillin on, giving him advice or giving him encouragement. And 
we as the audience have seen Krillin be be afraid, be afraid, be insecure. So we know that Krillin as a character, Krillin as a person, he needs that encouragement and Goku's there to give it to him. And I think that that is a big part of where that bond become that bond comes in between those two and why they are such good friends later on in the series. Yeah, and we Krillin was kind of self-absorbed and arrogant and looking out for himself at the beginning. And then we see him rooting for Goku to get off off the ground and get back in the fight and kind of be there for him and actually show care. So right. it's the it's the origins of, a, well, Goku's best friend. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> like, I, I have nothing to say against that. It's... uh I think even even in Super, even in the movies, even in the manga, like the present part of the manga, that friendship is still always touted as being Goku's closest relationship. Yeah, and and I, if memory serves correctly, um, Dragon Ball covers Goku all the way from a kid to a young adult, and so I can only imagine that this is just the beginning of a decade plus long relationship, all in one series. That we're going to be following yes absolutely and i'm super excited to watch more of this i we're talking a lot about this arc because i think both of us were pretty excited watching it uh and i was excited to hear your take on not only krillin but also kind of your first time through the the tournament arc here because this is this is definitely one of the better arcs in my mind in probably maybe in all of dragon ball I mean, it's one of those things where I know the pervy jokes aren't going anywhere, so I will just have to learn to accept those. But ruling those out, um, other than a slightly slow start, I thought this was a, a home run. This was a fantastic arc. I love this arc. Yeah, me too. I'm really excited to move forward into the next arc because I think that one's also pretty exciting. But I think that mostly wraps up my thoughts on the arc. Did you have anything else that you wanted to discuss? Uh, nope. I think I gushed enough. This was fantastic. And I, I will probably watch this again at some point. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's going to be it for this episode of instant transmission, where we discuss everything dragon ball. This has been your host, Todd and Dayton. Be sure to join us next time as Goku takes not one opponent on, but an entire army. That's right, Android fans. The Red Ribbon Army. Oh, I love androids. So, how many soldiers does it take to beat a 12-year-old boy? Can robots have feelings? Is Goku's head stronger than a bazooka? Find out uh, next time. And to all our fellow Dragon Ball fans, stay safe out there and remember to keep Rockin' the Dragon.
But seriously, how much does a full course meal cost? Like, what the 